excuse me what's up jets fans and welcome to episode 10 of jet nation live i am your host dylan Terman. i will be joined shortly by glenn naughton once i successfully give him this link um so for now i'll take it solo until he gets with us i'll, I'll be i'll be straight up i was completely shocked uh the the title of our show is john allen and the bills um they said that in their locker room, nobody was shocked. Um, and, and that might be the case. That might be so because this team truly can contend with anybody. But I was shocked. I, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. We had a very quick preview of the show last week because we thought we knew how this one was going to go down. Glenn and I both said no offensive touchdowns. Um, that obviously wasn't the case. The Jets were able to get two offensive touchdowns on the backs of their running backs, Michael Carter and James Robinson. Nice to see him reach the end zone as a member of the New York Jets. Um, it was questionable whether he was even going to play. So glad he was able to get his knee situation figured out and could play. Um, so two running back touchdowns, um, a complete 180 in terms of maturity and uh, footballing and quarterbacking, so to speak, from, from Zach Wilson. Obviously coming off the 355 yards two touchdowns and three interceptions against new england this is a great turnaround to see him complete 18 of 25 for 154 and um one touchdown on the screen no interceptions he did have a fumble lost uh, we'll get into that more into just a second i see glenn's here in the studio now so i'm going to go ahead and add him glenn you there i'm here how we doing i'm doing good uh sorry about that i'm not sure if i sent you the link I, you know, I don't, just I don't know if you or... did. Yeah, I sent you so many video clips. I just kept scrolling and scrolling. Yep. I couldn't find it. So, yeah. All good. We're here now. Um, I was just going over my surface level thoughts of the game. Um, I was just saying I was completely shocked. I know nobody in the locker room said they were shocked. But on the outside, I think most people were shocked, myself included. Yeah. So what were your thoughts and how just how shocked were you coming out of this win? I was shocked. Very shocked. I mean, listen, I, you know, I, I know there were a few people that a handful of fans that I saw predict this win. And, you know, I, I admire the fandom and all that. But um, to me, there was sort of nothing other than sort of blind faith that would make you believe the Jets should have won this game. Um, and that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with having that. I've had my times where I'm just sort of in denial and I insist they're better than they are. Um, but Zach Wilson from one week to the next, uh, was a different quarterback. And I thought, um, it's, it's weird. I saw, you know, I saw some people who were questioning Zach saying like, uh, I'm here to eat crow. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I was wrong. And now listen, I'm, I've, as I've said, I was one of the, as we know, i Love the idea of Zach. I wanted Zach. He was my top choice and all that. Um, and I, I said the Jets probably wouldn't score a touchdown this week. And uh, I'm, I don't feel like I'm, I have any crow to eat. And I don't, you know, I'm not. It's, it's not that I'm. Obviously, I'm thrilled with the win. But basically, for for those who were questioning Zach, now, now I'm not talking about people who were saying Zach was a bust and it was a bad pick like that. That's insane. Sure, like it's yes. still way too. It's still way too early for that. But. My thing was that for for the the critiques that that many of us had that I had and and a lot of other fans like the things we said Zach needed to do to get better he did so I'm like do I should I be apologizing for saying 
He needs to hang in the pocket. He needs to use his legs. He needs to protect right. the ball better. Like it's it's like I equate it to like because I I was just, I was shocked how many people were like I'm I can't believe I doubted him. I'm like there was a lot of reason to doubt him. You know right. it's like. If you've got a friend who's like 300 pounds overweight and you're like, dude, this isn't good for you. You need to lose weight. If the guy loses the weight, you then you don't then go, oh, I'm sorry. I questioned you're being overweight. Like, no, right. you should have. There was an issue and mm -hmm. you addressed it and the person fixed it. So I'm thrilled with the win. I'm confused by those saying they're sorry. They questioned Zach. Um, he needed, you know, he needed to get better. And he did. And it was it was so much fun to watch. It was it was a joy. I mean, that was literally the Jets' biggest win in like six, seven years. So, absolutely thrilled. And if Zach can keep this up, um, this this is going to be a fun, fun season. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of recency bias, at least in my personal opinion. But I think this this almost tops the 2015 overtime win against the Patriots. Now, I know hindsight, obviously. They didn't do much in the week after, and they imploded and didn't even make the playoffs. So there's obviously hope still for this season. But the the young team, the young core that's put together, that's actually winning these football games. I read a stat that between Sauce, uh, Garrett, and Brees, the Jets have 1.4 added wins just off their rookies. So that's an insane number. I know that's an analytic number that people don't like to hear. But that just proves that the young people, the young players on this roster actually – Com competing at a high level like we think they should be. I mean, you pick in the top 10 multiple times for two, three years in a row, you should have high competing players, but they're actually competing and winning these football games for the Jets. It's not always the veteran, the veterans, excuse me, although they are contributing. Don't get me wrong. DJ Reed, Quinn right. Williams, CJ Mosley. But then you add on top of the fact that Zach listened to the criticisms, whether they were from the outside or the inside, and they he took them, applied them to this game, which Many people wrote off, I mean, fair to say, after you're going to implode against the Patriots that you're not going to do much against the Buffalo Bills. But he completely turned it around. I said it, 100%, 180-degree turn on his maturity and his quarterbacking were on display. I mentioned it, 18 for 25 on 25 dropbacks. That's 72%. That's a season uh, career high, excuse me. Yep. Um, 154 yards. So back what we said, I'd rather take 150 in a win than three plus 300 plus in a loss. Mm -hmm. One touchdown on the screen, no interceptions. Uh, he did have the fumble on the strip sack from Von Miller. And that really was his only glaring mistake. And I don't even think it was his mistake. I think it was Cedric Abui who, I mean, you can't stop Von Miller, but if that's your only mistake in the game, things are going to look up. And sure, we were very critical of Zach last week, rightfully so, but neither of us were jumping ship and saying it's time to start you yeah. know, firing up the mock draft simulators and seeing if we can trade up for Will Levis. Get a, get a quarterback. Yeah, because we've seen how hard the schedule is, and Will Levis is the answer to our problems. Right. That's, that's not the case. So it's a week-to-week -week basis. I hope that the game plan isn't tailored around hiding Zach Wilson like we feared but this game it wasn't I think the quick pass game the RPO game which we thought he was doing efficiently everything was working there was a stat that said of his 25 passes 19 were thrown in under 2.5 seconds so that's obviously RPO style uh, quick game passes he was 16 of 19 on those passes so 84.2 percent 184 uh, yards, one touchdown, and a 114.9 QB rating. That's absolutely 
head and shoulders better than what anybody thought he was going to do against this Buffalo Bills defense again after this bad performance. So is this a formula for Zach Wilson? We'll just jump right into it. Is this the formula for Zach Wilson to sustain elite game manager speak? We could even put him in that category and say, do what you ought to do efficiently when you're asked to do it in limited basis and let the rest of the team go. Is this a sustainable formula for Zach Wilson? Well, I think that it's, well, I mean, his ability to sustain this level of play, um, you know, remains to be seen, but is it sustainable that they keep winning this way? I think it is. This isn't, um, you know, even just a few weeks ago, I said that it wasn't because that's, you know, we're talking about games where he was throwing for 120, no scores, and they were winning. Mm-hmm. And I think even in one of those, it was, uh, you know, he had one or two big completions. So really, it was like 60 yards passing plus one big play exactly. um, and no touchdowns. Like, that's not. Um, so this wasn't, you know, he wasn't fantastic in this game, but he didn't need to be. He just needs to be good. And, you know, the, the thing that, and I was thinking about this today, and I'm, you know, thinking about it a lot. Like if you... A couple of weeks ago, um, I think it was after after yeah, it wasn't after the loss. It was after the previous win. When I said to you, I I said, you know, it's time for us to have like a really legitimate discussion about how good can this Jets defense be. Like it's it's sort of it they've exceeded expectations. You know, we we said in the off oh, yeah. season, I believe I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure that when we discussed what you know what the most improved position groups were that we said corner and tight end yep and it's been corner by a million miles and w- what this has done like i i you know I, I said recently could dj reed and sauce gardner be considered on par with what Darrell Revis and antonio cromarty brought now if if you want to say revis is own is in his own class that's fine Sure. But I'm talking about what they bring combined. Um, you know, it's an oversimplification, but let, let's say you just grade each guy on a scale of 1 to 10 and say, well, Revis is the best. He's a 10. Okay, fine. Well, let's say Revis is a 10. And Cromartie, for as good as he was, he was inconsistent. He wasn't as consistent mm-hmm. as either of these two are right now. So if you want to say, okay, well, let's call Cromartie a 7, and these two guys are both 9s, neither, neither as good as Revis, but both better than Cromartie, and yep. not that far behind, like this duo m- might be the best we've ever seen as Jets fans. And they're yeah. in year one. So when you've got these corners and let Michael Carter, nobody talks about him enough. We don't do it. Like he's the forgotten yeah. man. Yep. But these three guys, I mean, this up to, it, you know, halfway point, anything can happen the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. But up to this point in a, a league that we've been saying for a million years now is, is, all about the pass, like the Jets are going to be as hard as anyone in the NFL to pass on. So with that being the case, if Zach Wilson improves or continues to play the way he, he does, and I, you know, I don't know, I'm sure we'll touch on it at some point, but if and when the Jets reintroduce Elijah Moore to the offense, that's going to be like, like the way I look at that, uh, you know, it'll, you, you always hate to see, you know, your, your better players get hurt. But anytime the Jets, you know, especially when like, you know, when it's when it's a premium player and they get hurt and they're going to miss the year. I always think to myself, well, the silver lining is when that guy comes back, it's going to be like adding a first round pick, you know, mid season or late in the season. Well, 
Right now, Elijah Moore is just a decoy who runs around in the backfield and does nothing. When they reintroduce him, and I, I believe they will, it's going to be like adding an elite pass catcher to a team that's already shutting opposing offenses down. And so that's absolutely sustainable. It's reminiscent of the Sanchez Jets. And so I just look at it, can Zach Wilson be better than Mark Sanchez was? Because if Mark Sanchez had been better, those are teams that would have had first-round buys and home playoff games. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, could this happen this year? Probably not. But could this team make the playoffs and make a run? Uh, I mean, tell me why they can't. Yeah, exactly. And just to touch on your cornerback point, I believe PFF, and again, this isn't the Bible using PFF, but their grading system has all three of the Jets' starting cornerbacks, I believe, in the top 15. I believe Carter's 15, Reed is 5, and Sauce, I believe, is rated out as the best corner in their system right now. So I don't know if there's anybody that touches it currently in the league. And yeah, we kind of have to go back to the Revis and Cromartie in Jets history just to find a duo. And you're, if you're telling me there's even a chance that that's a conversation, which it is at this point, Absolutely. Absolutely exceeding expectations by far. And yeah, Michael Carter doesn't get enough love, even though I claim to be like a Michael Carter, like Homer, like I don't even talk about him enough. So it's definitely good that you mentioned him included because people just look at the boundary corners and say, oh, okay, they got a good corner duo. No, we have a good trio. And for the first time in a long time, when the ball goes up in the air and we're on defense, I don't get scared. And no, you're you're surprised when it's caught. You're surprised exactly. when it's Yes. I, I'm I like, even, okay, well, there's somebody back there that's going to catch it for us or it's going to hit the ground. That's my I'll, thinking now. I'll tell you what. I was When when Sauce broke up that that pass for the on the final play of the game, I don't know. It may have been an, an hour after the game until I realized who it was. I was so excited mm-hmm. that I just, I just watched the ball. I saw the ball hit the turf. Yep. And then I started losing my mind. Yep. And, like, it didn't dawn on me until, like, a half hour. I was like – Who's in coverage? I don't even know who's in coverage. I was so convinced while that ball was in the air, I was like, this is either completed or pass interference. Yeah. Like before the ball, before the ball came down. Yep. And when that ball hit the ground, I just started looking all over my screen, looking for the flag. I'm like, where's the flag? Where's the flag? Oh my God, no flag. And it, and I didn't even, I didn't care who was in coverage because DJ Reed, how about that play earlier in the game? That same sideline deep inside the red. I mean, Jesus. What if that 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 was play of the game to me? I that was the best play of the game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's listen, it's it's exciting and fun to be a Jets fan for the first time in a long time. Yeah, seriously, fun is it might be underselling how good this season has been, truthfully. But uh, before we do get too too far ahead of ourselves, this week we are doing a mailbag at the end of the show. You can see it on the screen. Drop your questions in the chat. I see a couple already in there. We will get to them. I promise. We have a couple from Twitter we'll get to, and then a couple offline that we shared with each other. Um, We're also going to do a rookie update this week. Uh, We mentioned that we think about doing a quarterly update. We're going to do a half season update. I know nine and eight isn't exactly half, but we can't stop in the middle of last week's game to give you an update. So we will do an update on all of the seven rookies. They have all touched the field some way more than others, as we will get into Um, And just projecting how we see this class moving forward for the rest of the season into the future and maybe a couple of our favorite moments from each of these rookies. Um, But getting back to the defense, you you mentioned the DJ replay being one of the best. How about one from another rookie, Jermaine Johnson? 
Welcome back. Getting a chase down sack on Josh Allen. Um, Somebody mentioned it uh, on Twitter that it was a first down sack, but that drive resulted in the Bills punting the ball in the Jets territory in the fourth quarter of a one score ball game. So I don't think it's it's being talked about enough just how much of a impact Jermaine Johnson had on that game. He was one of, I believe, five sacks for the defense. Um, yep. And and this stat I thought was incredible for how much flack we give John Franklin Myers for his uh, silly penalties. He had five total pressures, which isn't a lot by any means, but that was two more than the entire Bills team had the entire game. So back to the quick RPO uh, pass game concepts, it was obviously working because the O-line held up. Zach wasn't under duress. He was throwing the ball away. Um, back to the defense, obviously, it didn't start out hot. Uh, I think we do need to mention that first play of the game where Stefan Diggs got sauce on the stutter move and beat him for 42 yards. Um, that coverage, I believe it was a cover two shell with Joyner over the top and sauce was supposed to kind of be a cloud corner. So he got beat. Don't get me wrong. Cause his feet yeah. got held up in the turf, but I don't think it's like, Oh, he was in man coverage and, and Stefan beat him. That was right. definitely a zone coverage play. So that's what it looked like to me. Exactly. And the bills probably did their homework. Like, Hey, the jets like to come out in this rolled corner coverage with sauce. So let's just hit him with a stutter move. And that's Stefan Diggs's bread and butter. His, his yeah. route running is, is next to nobody. So yep. he's, he's in a class of his own, but that was it. They, they but, locked Josh Allen down from that moment on in the, that's air. the thing though. That right. That's the thing though. That, you know, it reminds me of, and it, it's, it's such a good sign. Um, It reminds me of what was it? Like the 90, you know, different sport, but it was probably the first time I'd ever seen this or noticed it. 98, 99, whichever, whenever it was when the um, when the Yankees had that, you know, they won like 112 games and won the mm-hmm. World Series. Um, they were so good. You know, this is back when SportsCenter, like, you didn't know which which sport they were going to open up with. They just kind of, um, you know, every night was different. But if the Yankees lost, that was the lead story. And people would talk so much trash. And it took me a while to like it. You know, I was I was as nuts about baseball back then as I am about football now. But baseball sucks now. But back then, like I get really aggravated when people would talk trash about the Yankees. But then I realized, like, oh, they're just they're so unbelievably good. Yeah. That like a loss and people are like, yeah, like the the people who hate the Yankees. And that sauce is on that level now where he's so good that he gives up a big completion. It's like, oh, sauce got burned. Yeah. In 2022, in the NFL, he gave up a, a long, a long completion. Exactly. Like the league is full of them all week, every week. Yep. It's the first one you've seen against them all year, and it wasn't true, you know, man to man coverage. So, the guy is that he's that good already that opposing fan bases are doing backflips on Twitter when he gives up a catch, not a score, not a game winning yep. touchdown, yep. a catch on the first throw of the game, and people are like, "Woo!" That's how good he is. That's that's a testament to the level of play he's already put on, you know, put on display. Absolutely. And the broadcast immediately found the closest Bills fan in the crowd that they could after that play happened just to see their reactions. Yep. And of course, Stefan was, you know, talking his trash and Sauce kind of accepted yeah, yeah. it. He just nodded his head. He's like, all right, I'm <laughs> locked in. You beat me on that one, but that was kind of the last one you're going to get. And when we talk about our rookie update, we'll definitely get into Sauce a little bit more in detail. But that touchdown thing, that's very rare for him. And uh, it's continuing to be a trend in the NFL. So it's yep. great to see that. Um, 
Sheldon Rankins was another person I did want to talk about. He yeah. had the forced fumble early on in the game on Josh Allen uh, in the red zone. I believe it was their second offensive drive. And then I think two plays later, he went out with a pretty bad dislocated elbow should miss four to six weeks. Um, what were your thoughts and how big of an impact do you think Sheldon Rankin's injury is to this defense? Well, I mean, you know, how big remains to be seen, but I think, you know, potentially very big. Um, I thought Rankin's last season was a little bit inconsistent. I even mentioned him as a guy who like, like I didn't say he would be cut, but I thought if he didn't play really well early on or, you know, through camp or whatever, that he wasn't a lock. And he, you know, he probably was, I probably jumped the gun on that one. Um, but again, I didn't say he'd be cut, but I just, I was like, oh, he's, he's not the most consistent guy, but mm -hmm. this year he, he's been much better player this year than last, in my opinion. Um, so they're going to miss him in the middle of that defense. He's been a big part of what they're doing and they don't really have another guy on the roster. Um, you know, obviously other than Quinnen who, who plays it at that high of a level on the interior. Um, you know, I think we've all got our issues with Nathan Shepard. Um, you know, he's, you know, these guys, Solomon Thomas, Solomon Thomas, nice guy, but, uh, not a guy who makes plays, um, at least not as, not nearly as frequently as Sheldon Rankins does. So that one's going to sting a little bit, but, you know, you hope that whatever, whatever move they make, you know, whether I, I would imagine it's Tanzel smart, mm -hmm. will get added to the roster, you know, perhaps Jonathan Marshall, I would accept, I would expect it to be smart though. Um, and it's, like I said, it's, it. it if they can manage to to press forward and not not miss him that much, that would be huge. But uh, he's just, he's playing at such a high level that you would have to expect there's going to be at least a little bit of a drop off on that interior. And you know, you know, luckily they've at least got the buy for him to get a couple yep. weeks of rest in before they have their first game. Yeah, I was going to mention that the buy was very important. They labeled it as a four to six week injury. So obviously, if you count the buy. That's a full week, and then you say, obviously, he's probably going to miss the Patriots game, but that's already halfway to the short end of his timetable. So I do agree. It is a pretty big loss. Quinn Williams in his press conference said it was a huge loss. Um, so they understand what it is, uh, what the challenges ahead are going to be for this defensive line, especially on the interior. Um, I know we do have a question pointed more towards this in the mailbag, so I won't go full in-depth, but... I think you can make it work on the interior based on what you have, but both on the active roster and the practice squad, we saw a little bit of um, mix and match, so to speak on the defensive line in the preseason, some alignments that we have not seen in the regular season yet. So I'm glad you mentioned Tanzel smart and we'll probably mention a little bit more of that later, but we also got to talk about Quinn and Williams. Uh, Quinn and Williams, he had the, the sack on Josh Allen and then mm -hmm. the very next play was the sauce pick. I can't, I can't even every week we come on here and say, how fat is the check going to be that Joe Douglas has to cut to Quinn and Williams. And there's other people very deserving on this defensive line as well. But at what point does Quinn and Williams say, or say, I want 20 million a year because I'm just that good. I think he's on pace for, 13 or 14 sacks on the year. I know it's not, it's a little over half of the season and he has seven. So you figure maybe 13, 13 and a half sacks, but that's far and beyond anything the Jets have seen in a long time. I think Mohammed Wilkerson was the last double digit sack guy and we all know how that one turned out. So Quinn Williams, $20 million. Are we basically at that point yet with him where it's, you got to be the top paid defensive tackle for at least one off season. Yeah, I mean, listen, if it, it, it's sort of splitting hairs, it's, if it's not 20, it's 19.5 or 19, sure. you know, you're basically yes. huge money, 
Um, and you know, we've talked about this offline. I, you know, I, I don't, I hope this doesn't become a situation where, you know, the agent says, well, we want 24, you know, and the jets, and then they say, well, then we'll just tag you for a year and then we'll tag you again. And then, you know, cause that's when it gets ugly. Um, hopefully Joe Douglas just says, look, this is, you know, this is one of our top guys. Let's pay him what he's worth, get him paid now. Um, and yes, as, uh, as Frankie D says here in the chat, 95 number 95 absolutely is a beast monster player great attitude great kid i said from the time they drafted him and him and makai both um it's, it's why it's such a shame that that makai's out like those guys just have like the biggest person like the the, the 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 smile the personality in yeah. both guys you can see they're just happy and they love playing football yep. like and you just i don't know for young cornerstone players that's you love to see it you love to see you guys who appear to be genuinely happy to be doing what they do. Um, they don't come across as fake. They don't come across as, as posing or, you know, trying to put forward an image. They're just young dudes who like playing football. And Quinnen Williams absolutely is going to earn a monster contract. And the que- the biggest question becomes, do the Jets get it done sooner? Or do they, do they you know, make him wait, tag him, make him wait, tag him? Because um, that's when things can get a little bit ugly. Yeah, I hope they don't do that that route and play the franchise tag game with him because ultimately that doesn't make anybody happy in the long run because you usually end up losing a good player for simply just a comp pick back instead of either locking him up long term or potentially trading him. Even if, if you're going to get rid of somebody anyway, I always say try the trade market first, but you can't just let somebody have Quinn and Williams stature. No, just walk you, out you, of can't, the you can't. You can't. And, you know, I know the Muhammad Wilkins, uh, Wilkins yeah. thing blew up in their face, but... um. I said at the time, like, you know, it's a little bit different now because they do have a lot of good young talent, but you just, you don't let players of that caliber walk out the door no. uh, and teams don't do it. Like he, he's literally, you know, he's Aaron Donald light at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said, you say that knowing Aaron Donald is arguably the best player in the NFL. Um, so even if you're a light version of that, that means you're one of the best players in the NFL. You don't let guys at that age playing at that level. If you're going to let him walk, what the hell is the point of drafting anyone? Like, we're going to draft yeah. a guy, give him three, four years to to become one of the most elite talents in the league, and then we'll let him walk and we'll get a comp pick. No, no you know, trade him. No, you got to sign the guy. Yeah. And um, I, I I truly believe Joe Douglas will get it done. Um, if you think back, actually, and I, I always remember this because, you know, no one talks about it now because now everybody loves Quinn and Williams. Mm-hmm. But if you remember when Joe Douglas was hired, I believe uh, I believe it was Rappaport. One of the insiders reported that a lot of teams called the Jets. Yes. And like, hey, hello, brand new wet behind the ears GM Joe Douglas. We And I think they said was offered like a boatload of picks. Multiple for first Williams. Yep. Yeah, for Quinn and Williams. And he turned them all down. So Joe Douglas may not have drafted Quinn and Williams. But he knew from day one that he was going to be a cornerstone guy. And I saw a lot of people for those first couple of years should have traded him. This guy's a bust. Blah, blah, blah. It's insane how people just write dudes off in like under two years now. Oh, yeah. you see it all the time. Elijah Moore. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You see it all the time. Quinnen from from his rookie year. I always point to the Dallas game as a rookie because that was that was an elite O-line. Mm-hmm. And Quinnen Williams played fantastic that day. Yes. Yeah. And that was the game I watched where I was like, this guy's going to be legit. He's going to be a good one. And now he's arrived and it looked the time to pay him is going to come and it's going to be fun when the Jets do. 
Yeah, and one last little bit on him is you draft players, obviously, to be good football players. So when they become good football players, you should pay them as such. And the Jets need to start paying their own in-house homegrown players instead of these external free agents. Quinnen would be the first person to create the trend around of, hey, we we know what he was, what he has become in our system, and now we're going to you know, reward you as such with a large contract. So I think it's it's just a matter of if not when. Hopefully it's shit. I want it to be done this week before they even play another football game. But yeah, I don't think that's going to be the case. Another before person, the end of the show. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, another person who I think should get paid by the end of this show. And I've we've talked about him before. He was kind of buried on the bench for the first two weeks. Didn't even dress. He came out and he's done nothing but produce at the end of football games when the Jets have a barely lead or they're trying to claw back to gain the lead in the fourth quarter. Bryce Huff's kind of been that guy and Bryce Huff along with Quinn Williams. I'm not saying the dollar sign needs to be the same. Bryce Huff needs a, a, a mini Brinks truck backed up to his house because of that third down play against Josh Allen last week that sealed the football game. I understand Josh Allen got hurt. He's dealing with a UCL ligament in his elbow, what have you. I, I will sound a little bit selfish and, you know, a little bit not, I don't want to be disrespectful to Josh Allen's injury, but I will only talk about Bryce Huff on that play because of how good Bryce Huff is and has been this season. That was kind of the, the tip of the iceberg for me of like, all right, if we're not going to pay this guy by next week, we're, we're borderline risking him leaving in free agency to a team that is going to pay him big bucks. I believe he's a restricted free agent, so the Jets would have some rights to his contract. But you don't even want to toe that line when it comes to a player like Bryce Huff. And I understand he's a situational pass rusher, but you have the top guy with pass rush win rate on your football team in any capacity through nine weeks of the season. At least a two-year $15 million deal needs to be offered to Bryce Huff, in my opinion, because what he's done in this defensive line is more impactful on a down-to-down basis than what Carl Lawson has done. So it's really like, at what point does Bryce Huff need to, you know, put his stake in the ground and say, I'm the guy that's going to be here long-term as your, your backup pass rusher, along with Jermaine Johnson. But what are your thoughts on Bryce Huff and just his his play down the stretch in these fourth quarter games? And just should he play more or is this role just perfect for what he's doing? Uh, well, it's it's funny you mention this um, because, you know, we had our mailbag show planned for, you know, a week or so now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just by chance, uh, a guy I mentioned every now and then on here, a good friend of mine, Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. He mm-hmm. um he messaged me earlier today said hey man you know call in jump on for a mailbag so I I jumped on their show we'll have him on ours at some point for sure um he you know he, he's come on with us and we did a mailbag and that was one of the one of the questions was you know if, if any player what what player should the Jets extend in season similar mm-hmm. to how they did last year with John Franklin Myers right um and and I had two names I said I said Bryce Huff and Nate Herbig um yeah you know this is a yeah. guy you know uh, Huff is a guy who just he impacts the game, and the comment I made then, I'll say it now, Huff is like the the classic example. And I know it's, you know, not everyone has time to watch every single snap on the All-22 multiple mm-hmm. times over, you know. And so a lot of people scout the box score. And Bryce Huff is the perfect example of throw the box score out because it, it, it is a little frustrating that his sack production is so low, 
yeah. for a guy who wins as often as he does or as high of a rate as he does. Mm-hmm. But as as I've been saying for years, you know, I, as many people have been saying for years, um, going back to the Leonard Williams days, like we got frustrated by Leonard Williams because he was such a high pick. He was still mm-hmm. a very good player who was very disruptive in the past game. And if he had been a third or fourth round pick, fans would have loved Leonard Williams. But because he was that top, yeah. you know, that top of the first round, everyone wants double digit sacks or you're a bust. And Leonard Williams was a guy who would have 25, 35 pressures a year. And now we're seeing it from Huff. And we're seeing, you know, you're seeing these plays. As you said, you know, Quinn and Williams had a pressure. Uh, was it this week or recent? I think it was this past week. The, oh, no, he had the sack right before the INT. But we've we've seen these pressures that have led to interceptions and complete passes. They're drive killers. Bryce yep. Huff delivers in that capacity, and it just doesn't show up. You don't get points for it on your fantasy team. You know, even if I'm in a fantasy league where we do defensive points and Bryce Huff never got me anything. Okay, but in real football, yep. um, he's an impactful player. So exactly. absolutely, Bryce Huff and Nate Herbig, get him signed. You know, get him, get him a three. I say, you know, you said two, fine, two, three-year deal okay. and uh, get them under contract for the next several years. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up Nate Herbig because that's another sneaky free agent addition that Joe Douglas has made that yep. got thrust into a starting role midway through the season and has done nothing but produce. I I love when whenever Rob Sala talks about Nate Herbig because the adjective he uses to describe him is dirty, but he does that. He means it in such a nice way that it's just so funny to see you talk about an offensive lineman as dirty but in such a clean way. And Nate Herbig is just winning clean at the offensive line position, the right guard spot. I, I've always said AVT should come back and be the right guard, but if Nate Herbig plays this well, you might bring AVT back as the right tackle next season. So always, always fun there. Um, Bryce Huff, I did want to mention, you talked about his pressures. Um, it was the first three games he was inactive for. I said two, it was the first three games. And so the last six games, he's played 95 snaps. He has 17 pressures and one and a half sacks. That's a pressure rate of almost 18%. That's ridiculous for a situational pass rusher. So I understand it's not going to light up the box score like you mentioned, but I saw somebody trolling a Dolphins fan on Twitter saying that Bryce Huff is better than Bradley Chubb. And when you consider the compensation that the Dolphins paid for Bradley Chubb, you're expecting multiple digit, like double digit pressures, probably a sack plus each game from, from, uh, Chubb, whereas Bryce Huff can get you similar production at you know one third the snaps. So I'm not going to say that Bryce Huff is better than Bradley Chubb, but I think in the grand scheme of things, when you have somebody like Bryce Huff, you don't need to go pay a first round plus for a Bradley Chubb. So those are definitely three guys: Quinnen, Huff, Herbig. Get them all signed. Get them on on the team long term because even if Herbig's your sixth offensive lineman, I think that's that's phenomenal for an offensive line that has uh, seen many different combinations this season, to say the least. <laughs> um, one last note on the game against the Bills before we move into the rookies. I did want to talk about this run game. We're kind of back to where we were post or pre Brees injury. Excuse me. Uh, Thirty-one attempts, 160 yards on the ground, one touchdown from Michael Carter. Uh, Robinson had 13 for 48. Carter had 12 for 76. So Robinson did out carry Carter, but Carter was the way more productive back. And I believe Carter's best game on PFF 
this season was this last week. Eight missed tackles forced, four first downs in the run game. What's up with this run game? And do you think that these two, mainly Carter and Robinson, not so much Ty Johnson or Bam Knight, could be a, a two-headed backfield that can actually be sustainable? I know a lot of people said Brees Hall goes down, your your run game is you're washed, you're not going to be able to produce as much. I not that might be the case, but is this a winnable backfield for the Jets given what they want to do? Yeah, absolutely. Look, they're they're multi-dimensional guys. Um Robinson's been a thousand yard rusher. Carter is a guy who's never, you know, he's a he's a guy who'll probably he'll never see the carries to be a thousand yard guy, but he'll he can on any given Sunday be a five, six, seven yard per carry guy on eight to twelve touches. So absolutely. And really the, to me, the numbers are, I don't, maybe misleading. they not right. Well, I think misleading maybe might be the right word because of how well they ran it in the fourth quarter. And we, you know, right. we keep seeing it from this Jets team where they're, they're just, they're wearing teams out. And on that final drive or those, you know, that final quarter, they're, they're putting up big yards. You know, Robinson had a couple of runs. Didn't he? I think he had a 22 yarder or an 18 yarder or something. Um, yep. you know, they start, they started that drive inside their own five or whatever, inside the five, inside the 10. Yeah, I think they went like 96 yeah. yards or something. Um, and they just they ran the hell out of it. So as long as the 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 O line holds up, yeah, again, I mean, what's the definition of holds up? They're down to like their 30th guy. Um, but as long as they keep playing well enough and and wearing teams down into the fourth quarter, again, you've got a thousand yard back and a guy who can be a six plus yard per carry guy on any given day. Um, you know, he won't sustain that over the course of a season, mm-hmm. but Again, you know, sort of, and, and as you said, you know, it, I, I had that thought, you know, as much as you enjoy the win, there was that part of me. It was like, oh, imagine what they would have done if they had Brees Hall today. Like they ran oh, for 170 without Brees Hall, you know, but especially game with those gaudy numbers, you're like, they might've gone for 230, 240, you know, oh, if yeah. you have Brees Hall in that game. Um, so, it, you know, you kind of, you just, you wish you had that elite talent in like, in a guy like Hall. Um, but Carter, but you know, the, these guys are still good enough to just keep the chains moving and, and, you know, bleed the clock, which they did a great job of the other day. Yeah. And full details on that game winning field goal drive by the jets offense. They went 14 plays, 81 yards in just over six minutes to kick the field goal with a minute 43 left on the clock. So when you talk about methodically moving the clock, moving the ball, wasting clock, not giving your opponent a chance to even have the ball with enough time to go down the field and score. Buffalo had to use all of their timeouts on the Jets last offensive drive. So they started the drive backed up in their own territory. I believe it was inside the 25, no timeouts. And and you saw what happened. The Jets defensive line was able to pin their ears back and go. All they need is a one point and you have a lead in this NFL. So Zach Wilson, I'm so glad he took the sack on that third down play. Didn't throw it away or didn't throw it up to anybody. He just yep. took the sack, kept the clock running, made them waste their last time out. You're still in a solid field goal range. Greg Zerloin has been money pretty much outside of two kicks all year. Right. And one kick was right. outside of 50. So it's just full, complete trust in the team. You love to see both like the offense leaning on the defense, the defense leaning on the offense. It was a team win, a complete team win against one of the most complete teams in the league. And I feel like that's the best way to put it when, when everybody comes in, you know, we had a short preview last week and said, Oh, maybe no offensive touchdowns and they come out and they do this. So complete win against the complete team. And I think that's the best, best way to end it. 
we're obviously going to run a little long this this uh, episode here since we're on a bye. There's a Thursday night game that is really not entertaining at all. Carolina's uniforms might be the best part of the Thursday night game. They're wearing the all blacks with the black helmets against the Atlanta Falcons, but we're going to trudge on here. We're probably going to do about a 90 minute show. So for the next probably half hour, we're going to talk about this rookie class. Um, it was a discussion multiple times this year. Uh, it was including this week in Germany where good morning football is uh, live all week for the Germany game on Sunday morning. And they're talking about it right now as we speak. An hour ago, there was a tweet from Peter Schrager. Who has the best uh, rookie class, the Jets or the Seahawks? I think it's the Jets. Obviously, that's being homer and biased. But I will say that the Seahawks have found a ton of good mid to late round guys, including Abraham Lucas, Tariq Woolen, who are actually doing a lot of great things. So it's a very close one. But the fact that the Jets are even in this discussion of having the best rookie class halfway through the season when sure it's easy to say on draft weekend oh the Jets won the draft they had a ton of uh, high picks three in the first round and another one in the top 40 so it's easy to say that they win on paper the first week of the draft but now that you're eight games into the season or nine games excuse me this is still a thing the Jets are still the best rookie class or one of the best so overall before we get into each player by player what are your thoughts on the class and is this is this is this something we can you know bank on with Joe Douglas moving forward hitting on all of these draft picks in one class? Well, I I, I think with this we're kind of we're delving into the one of the one of the mailbag questions, so we, we may as well cover it in that capacity because I uh, I believe someone actually asked is is this their best class? Um, oh, cool. Ever, you know, um, it it was you know is this the, one of the best classes ever? Yeah. Uh, and really, there there's no I don't see how it isn't. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, people, you know, people say, you know, oh, even over the years, even with the bad GMs, when they'd hit on the the occasional pick, oh, well, that, you know, that guy was a top five pick. He was a top 10 pick. That, those are gimmies. No, they're not. <laughs> We're Jets fans. We know that there are no gimmies. Absolutely. You can pick one, two, three. Listen, Vernon Golston, you know, there are no gimmies. There are no absolute locks. You know, even having just praised Leonard Williams, um, he was still, he was a very good player. But for his draft slot, he was a disappointment. Yep. You know, he he wasn't that elite talent, which is what you want in that spot. So, you know, was he a bust? That all, the, you know, depends on one's definition of a bust. Sure. You know, so really having early picks doesn't guarantee anything. And we know that. Um, so Joe Douglas, listen, this draft class is, is as much as we, I mean, we, everybody loved it. Um, th- this this was probably the most universally praised draft we have ever seen, um, at least in my time as a fan. If you think back to um, NFL Network, Rich Eisen, Daniel Jeremiah, you know, Rich Eisen being a fantastic uh, broadcaster and Jets fan was sort of, you know, being a little a little bit over the top. But he's saying to Daniel Jeremiah, you know, do you mean to tell me? The Jets just got the number one corner on your yep. board, the number one receiver on your board, the number one pass rusher on your board, and the number one running back on your board. And Daniel Jeremiah's like, yeah. Like, and that, I mean, that, listen, it, whether it's Daniel Jeremiah, any former scout who's got a, even a halfway decent reputation, if you can get four guys that are in their top three, that's incredible. Um, yeah. To get four guys that are rated that high is unreal. Jeremy Ruckert, we haven't really seen much of him. But as I said, if you know, when you look at his film at Ohio State, 
if he'd played at a different school, I think he goes much higher with more opportunities. Oh, yeah. Max Mitchell, I mean, he couldn't be more of a pleasant surprise. You really thought he was a, a developmental guy who probably wouldn't see the field this year. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people say, like, oh, he's he's been okay but not great. Well, I'll take that. I'll yeah, take okay sure. from a developmental guy who was expected to spend all season on the bench. He gets some starts to kick off the year and plays well. I'll take it. Um, and Michael Clemens, again, part-time player, but who brings a ton of intensity, does a really nice job on special teams, which doesn't get talked about enough. So I, I look at this draft class and, you know, the, the way I think of it, and I was actually, I, I was thinking about doing, a, you know, just writing up a quick story on it. Like I've said for years, like, when is this team? When in my lifetime? Because it's never really happened in my lifetime. Um, you know, I mean, you could you could say the the Sean Ellis, Chad Pennington year, Abe and all that. Mm-hmm. But like to me, those, you know, again, not to discredit Parcells, but those were like you had four firsts. Like even sure. the Jets, even the Jets couldn't screw that up. Um, well, they could have, but they didn't. But yeah. but I, I've, I've said for years, like when in my lifetime are the Jets going to have a draft class where top to bottom they find like highlight? It doesn't have. I, I understand it's like a very rare thing, mm-hmm. but I'm like, well, I've never seen it in 30 plus years. When are we going to get one? And it looks like this year they finally got one. Like top to bottom, fantastic impact players. And yes, uh Max Mitchell has been the biggest surprise as someone who just said. Yeah, I, I want to start if you're cool with it, I want to start at the bottom in the fourth round and work our way up to the top. But yes, every single all seven players have at some point seen the field. Six of these seven players have been impactful. And you could point to a case or a scenario where at least three of these players have done something in game, whether it was one play, two plays, multiple plays that have turned the tide of the game or at least straight up won the game for the Jets. I want to start with Michael Clemens, fourth round pick, number 117 overall, edge player from Texas A&M. His stats on the year. He's played in all nine games, 151 total defensive snaps. He has eight tackles, six assisted tackles, seven total pressures, and he got his first sack last uh, two weeks ago against Mac Jones and the Patriots, to which he put on Instagram in one of the scariest posts on Instagram. He said something about laying his enemy down to sleep, and <laughs> all the pictures of him were just completely terrifying. So... But my impactful moment, my my favorite moment from Michael Clemens this year had to be the block punt against Green Bay. The fact Absolutely. that he's a special teams, he's almost dominant on special teams. Somebody asked me to put a all 22 clip together of Michael Clemens on defense, and he didn't play any defense, many defensive snaps in that game. But the, the special team snaps he played in that specific game were so good. He is so good at just bull rushing the player next to the snapper then crashing down on the long snapper and just getting his long frame in front of the punter. And if he doesn't block it, he's definitely terrifying. Every punters are small guys, man. Like they, Michael Clemens coming after you is not something you want on special teams. I don't so know. No. That's, that's my memorable moment from Michael Clemens. I, I, I think it's, it, obviously the sack is important too as a defensive lineman, but when you block a punt and Will Parks picks it up and runs for a touchdown against the green Bay Packers, that's just that's got to be your your marquee moment of your season. Do you have any other moments of Michael Clemens other than maybe some press conferences with the media that that stand out to you? 
Well, funny enough, that that's what I was going to say was the pressers. And I know we love to, to laugh and joke about how, how, you know, scary and intimidating he is because, you know, because of his size, his length, mm-hmm. his demeanor and all that. But I, 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 I love the guy's demeanor. Like you don't get a lot. He's for sure. He's, he's very much, I, I, I don't know something about like, he, he's got that old school thing about him where he's just all business. You know what I mean? And, and I love that it's, there's not enough of that for me. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not saying guys shouldn't have fun and they shouldn't be lighthearted. I, you know, I just said I love Quinnen and Becton and I love their demeanor too. And they're mm-hmm. sort of lighthearted, you know, happy. That's great too. But there's just something about dudes that are just super intense. And you like, you can't, you, you just look at the way Michael Clemens handles himself with the media. And I just think I can't see that guy ever taking a playoff. I can't like some people are just wired different than other human beings in, in a million different ways. Um, but I think rarely do you see a guy who conducts himself, who carries himself like Michael Clemens, who you go, Oh, that we're going to have to worry about this guy's intensity level. We're going to worry about, we're going to have to worry about this guy's level of commitment. Um, I, I don't see that. So uh, that I think that's my favorite thing about Michael Clemens is the way he carries himself just sort of oozes intensity, um, you know, quiet confidence. And, um, and, and uh, you love to see that from a guy. So that's, that's been my favorite thing is watching how he carries himself because I think he's going to be in future years, if not already, he's going to be a guy, young guys look up to as like, that's, I got to have that dude's intensity. Yeah. And I think it's really good that you mentioned not having to light a fire under him and I'll steal something from Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks move the sticks podcast it's their thoroughbreds versus donkeys discussion and thoroughbreds. You don't have to do anything. They are down to work. They just, they hit the the rink and they go. Whereas a, a donkey, you got to kind of slap them on the ass a little bit and you got to get them, got to get them fired up a little bit to get moving. So Michael Clemens is certainly a thoroughbred in that case. And I read a story that he was supposed to go to the senior bowl last year and i think if he went to the senior bowl last year based off especially how jermaine johnson played and showcased his talent there's no way michael clemens is going to last till the 117th pick so i'm very glad that he was one that did not get to go to the senior bowl for whatever circumstance and fell to the jets at 117 huge pickup there we had another fourth round pick somebody obviously mentioned it in the comments being the biggest surprise and that's max mitchell Pick 111, which coincidentally is the same pick that you said Jason Fabini Jason was. Jason Fabini, yep. Yep. So uh, offensive tackle from Louisiana. His stats this year, four games, 261 offensive snaps, 13 pressures allowed, and two sacks allowed. And just to give some nuance to those, because 13 does sound like a lot in a four-game stretch, you're going up against uh, pass rushers like Kalias Campbell, Miles Garrett, um, Trey Hendrickson, they didn't have TJ Watt in Pittsburgh, but they had Alex Highsmith, who was the sack leader at the time. So he was facing elite, basically elite level competition in every single game um, that he played in starting in week one. Obviously, as a rookie, like we said, we didn't anticipate him being a starter. We thought he'd be more of a swing tackle, a developmental guy for the season, possibly a red shirt if, if they could have. That's not the case. You have all these injuries at the offensive tackle position. He's thrust into the role similar to Herbig. You see tons of success, tons of flashes in, in such a small sample size. 
I don't necessarily have a marquee moment from Max Mitchell, but I just think his entire 261 snaps over the three and a half games, really, that he played, he went down midway through the Pittsburgh game. That was enough for me to say that he could come back next year and compete for the right tackle starting position. Absolutely. And that is way more than I would have said. I was not a big Max Mitchell fan coming out of Alabama last year at the Senior Bowl. I was there, and I wasn't really impressed with most most of the offensive linemen. Max Mitchell in particular, I said, you know, I thought they could have gone elsewhere and picked somebody else, but I'll be the first one to admit that I am super happy with Max Mitchell and believe that he does deserve a starting role if not a compete for a starting role next year what are your thoughts on on Mitchell yeah listen uh it'd be fun to go back and look and see you know who were the top like okay so he played in four games or started four games before he got injured and you reeled off the names of guys he went up against you're talking about anywhere from guys who were just quality veterans to some of the NFL sorry about this lighting here this is screwing up um, you know, you're talking quality veterans to absolute elite NFL talents and guys yep. like Miles Garrett. Like, I'd love to go back and see who were the top four pass rushers he faced in college. And, you know, and let's compare those guys to the guys he went against. I mean, the level of competition just absolutely goes through the roof for Max Mitchell. And he held his own. And that's really all you can ask while a guy is is young and learning. And, you know, he even, he had some reps. I forget, you know, I I can't remember off the top of my head who they were against. But he has had some reps where guys made him look silly. Spin Mm -hmm. him around. He's he's blocking with his butt and he looks like he's trying to fly. Like he's hanging on for dear life. Okay, fine. He's a fourth round pick out of Louisiana. He's learning. Who probably probably never faced more than one or two guys who are high-end NFL prospects. And he's right out of the gate facing four guys in a row who you would think are going to eat his lunch, and he holds his own. You know, listen, the, you know, the, the first time where, where he, to me, where he really stepped up was that Cleveland game where there were a few plays late in that game where Joe Flacco had to have time. He had yep. to. And you're watching that game thinking, at some point, Miles Garrett is just going to throw this guy into the third row and rip Joe Flacco's head off. And he didn't. He held his own, and that's when you were like, okay, maybe this guy just made some of the biggest blocks of the season against one of the best rushers in the NFL. He might be all right. So he, he's been an absolute, you know, pleasant surprise, and uh, hopefully and absolutely should be given the shot to compete for the starting job next year. Yeah, definitely. Um, moving on into the third round at number 101 overall. They selected Jeremy Ruckert, tight end Ohio State, somebody you touched on before. His stats this season, only three games played, just 26 snaps. He has one yeah. target, and it was, I believe, considered a drop. drop. I'm not sure. That was a yeah. Drop. yeah, it was a and drop. The, the swing, the swing pass in the flat, yeah. Yeah, it was it was a unfortunate look for him and his only um, target this season. And what I'll say is I don't know how far behind his foot injury from the senior bowl truly left him this off season. I know he didn't have much of an off season program at all. Um, but at some point, eight games, nine games into the season, you would have liked to have seen him. The, the inactive healthy scratch kind of rubs me the wrong way. When you have guys like you and like they're not using their third tight end at this moment in the rate that we thought they were going to use their tight ends. So I would love to just see the opportunity given to Jeremy Ruckert over Yaboa. 
Um, I'm not sure if it's a playbook thing, if he doesn't know enough of the playbook to get into these two tight end sets. But from everything that we saw from the, the team in their uh, behind the scenes in Mobile, they loved this kid's character and his work ethic and everything about him as the, the football player. So I don't think it's necessarily that side of it that's keeping him off the field, but it's just kind of a mystery at this point if if it was the injury or what is keeping him off the field. Well, you know, I think it's it's possible he just he needed more work than we realized. Um, I really thought um, and I, I'd said that mm-hmm. I figured I thought he'd see the field early on, but I thought it would be limited basis. And I, I thought that sort of the second half of the year we would see him climb the depth chart. I even wondered, like, could he climb to number two? Could he outplay, you know, CJ Uzama? Like, because some of that Ohio State film is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously it hasn't happened. Um, this was another topic that came up um, earlier with Scott. Um, I'm I'm not panicked or anything. I'm, I'm a little surprised. That's all. I just, I'm yeah. not like, oh, God, he's a bad pick. I'm just thinking, oh, and, and I like Yaboa. You know, I, I, I sort of, I, I tweeted out some of his stuff from Ole Miss before the draft and thought, mm-hmm. you know, could he be a day three pick for the Jets? They end up grabbing him as a, a undrafted free agent, similar to Zonovan Knight this year. Same thing. I tweeted him out. Um, so yeah, Ruckert. I'm a little bit surprised that he hasn't done a little more. But again, if if they're bringing him along a little, because because as you said, that that was the main point. I think we all expected more targets for the tight ends in this offense, and that just hasn't happened. Oh yeah. Um, especially early on, you know, Conklin late in camp and early in the year was seeing all these targets, and then it just kind of dried up for a little bit. He still he still sees the odd target, but I think both tight ends have done significantly less than we expected. Um, still both good players, but I just think that that's been a factor too. We haven't seen as much action as we anticipated at that spot. Yeah, and and I was okay with you know chalking it up to Joe Flacco being the quarterback the first three weeks as to why the tight ends didn't get involved. But it is weird to see them not use both Uzama and Conklin the way that we thought they were going to, especially the way that Zach likes to sling the ball around. He likes his big body targets, so you think the tight end over the middle would be the security blanket in in both facets of Uzama and Conklin. Um, I do agree. I I think the back half of this season will be more of Jeremy Ruckert's time to shine. Um, I I hope that he's not a healthy scratch for the rest of the season. I hope that this you know is kind of the turning point for him and he overtakes at least Yaboa on the depth chart. Obviously, it's hard to say anything higher than that at this point for him is is um, realistic by the end of the season. But if you just get him in as like almost a red shirt this year, get him in your offseason program next year, and you you just start opening up packages for him down the stretch and just get him slowly involved. I think that's that's the the route that you need to go with Jeremy Ruckert because the Ohio State film is littered with great plays, and it is unfortunate to not see that translate immediately, but that's part of the draft process as well. So good one there on, on Jeremy Ruckert. Moving on into the second round, this was their only second round pick. They had two going into the draft, but they used one to trade up into the first, and they almost used this one to trade up into the first to get the same player. They end up waiting until day two with the fourth overall pick in in the second round to get Brees Hall running back Iowa State. Um, I don't have a clip of a violin in the background to play for the sad music that Brees Hall is no longer um active on this roster this season he tore his acl week seven against denver but in those seven games he played 233 snaps on the season 80 attempts on the ground 
462 rushing yards for a 5.8 yards per carry average four rushing touchdowns he did have a fumble in week one and there was talks that he didn't quite know the playbook then but it started slowing down for him as the weeks progressed he also added in the past game 30 targets 19 catches for a 63.3 percent catch rate 218 yards which is 11.4 yards per reception and one receiving touchdown to make it five total on the year and over 675 scrimmage yards for Brees Hall in just seven games. Um, the other advanced stat that I got from PFF that I loved about Brees Hall, 329 of his 462 yards came after contact, which is 71.2% of his total yards rushing. He had 15 rushes of 10 or more yards and eight rushes of 15 or more yards adding 19 first downs simply on the ground, not including his receiving. Safe to say Brees Hall was worth every bit of the 36th overall pick. I don't care what the analytics site guys say about drafting a running back early. I think we've seen it work in many cases. We've also yeah. seen it not work in many cases. But yeah. when you feel as though your backfield is one elite home run piece away from being a top running unit in the NFL, which the Jets thought they were. You go out and you get and a they Brees were. Hall, and you find out that it's exactly the case, that they were one Brees Hall away from having an elite backfield overall. You pair him with Michael Carter. Michael Carter had like 500 yards rushing last year total, and he led the team in rushing yards. So it was safe to say Brees Hall was going to smash that he might have even, I don't know exactly off the top of my head what the rookie Jets record is, but I'm sure Brees Hall was very close, if not on pace to shatter yeah. that record. Easily a thousand yards, probably 1500 scrimmage yards, the way they were using him. Yep. It's, it's unfortunate that he's not with us for the rest of the season due to the ACL, but I'm almost happy that the ACL happened in October as opposed to December. So now there's yeah, a slight chance that he comes If it's going to happen, if it's going to happen, you want it to just happen early, get a guy back for the next season. Um, but you can't say enough about the way he's played I, for years. And, you know, we've, we've discussed this. I've been one of those guys that says you don't take running backs with premium picks. But when you are in the position where, where when you finally have a good roster, that's it's not it's no longer like a luxury that you that does you no good, you know. Um, yep. if you've got, if you've got a thousand holes on your roster, don't take a running back early. However, the Joe Douglas has closed a lot of those holes and oh, they, yeah. you know, they don't, they don't need 20 guys, you know, or even when they draft the breeze, they weren't, they weren't 15, 20 players away from being competitive. So by all means, if you've built up a nice roster and you're sitting there and you can get a guy like Brees Hall, the impact he can have, as I said earlier, I'm sure every game this year. But again, you know, again, specifically against the Bills, when you when you still manage to to run for as many yards as they did, I mean, anytime they lose a game from here on out, it's like, oh, I wish they had Brees Hall. They've, you know, he he's a guy who will change, you know, change the outcome of a game. And the way the Jets are playing this year, probably more of an impact than Zach Wilson has on a lot of days. You know, if he's in there to get twenty plus carries, um, he's going to have a huge impact. But he's out. But just in terms of the talent. Um, you, you gotta love the pick and he's, you gotta figure he's going to be a playmaker, uh, for many years to come as long as his health holds up. Yeah. And I don't want to correlate one team's, you know, 
doings to another team's doings, but San Francisco has always been a team to run committee backs and maybe Brees Hall didn't influence Kyle Shanahan to go out and trade for Christian McCaffrey. But I think the fact that you had an elite back in your system and you're able to watch somebody else use an elite back in your same system in a way that you kind of wish you could do with an elite back in your system. I know that the 49ers have always been an elite rushing team, but then you go out and you pay, you know, a boatload for Christian McCaffrey to have that, that workhorse in your stable. So it's kind of funny to see Kyle Shanahan's philosophy is kind of shifting. And again, I'm not going to say it's Brees Hall's doing, but it is funny to watch teams that normally run committees switch to a lead backfield as well. Uh, my last stat on Brees Hall, he averaged 3.3, almost 3.3 missed tackles forced per game. And that's only playing 12 snaps in the last game. He did get a missed tackle forced. So you're looking at almost four missed tackles a game for him. That's truly special as a runner. And they talked about it in the offseason. You want to have playmakers that can give you those one to two play offensive drives that come away with a touchdown. That's Brees Hall's spot on definition. So I love everything that Brees Hall did. We'll obviously get him back next year. Hopefully he'll be ready for camp. We're moving into the first round now. We still got three left. It's crazy. The Jets had three first-round picks this year. Their last one, they traded up to pick 26 to go get Jermaine Johnson, defensive lineman from Florida State. His stats on the year, six games, 113 snaps. He missed three games with his ankle injury, uh, nine solo tackles, one assist, three pressures, three tack or five pressures, excuse me, three tackles for a loss, and two and a half sacks. Um the marquee play for me has to be the chase down against Josh Allen that we talked about it before it changed the pace of that fourth quarter drive for the bills, ultimately getting the ball back for the jets in a situation where the bills were in plus territory on first down, ready to strike and possibly put the game out of reach. So Jermaine Johnson comes back and makes an immediate impact. His speed off the edge like you can't block him with the tight ends or wide receivers like they tried to do in Buffalo. You need to put a big on Jermaine Johnson. And even still, I think he has the length and the speed to get around some of these bigger offensive tackles. So Jermaine Johnson is somebody that I would love to see him get more snaps. I think he's been very limited in this defense as a rotational rusher, similar to Bryce Huff and Michael Clemens. What do you think with Jermaine Johnson moving forward? Is he worthy of, you know, getting a starter reps? And do you have a marquee moment outside the Josh Allen sack? Well, I, I was, I, I don't outside the Allen sack. The reason I'll, yeah. I'll repeat it or the, the reason I'll use the same play is, my, you know, my thought as that play was developing, you just, it's so rare. You see Josh Allen get taken down one-on-one. -on -one. Yep. I'm watching that play and I'm just thinking to myself, force him to throw it away, force him to throw it away. Because I'm thinking, if you get there, runs, yeah, yeah, you're you're and and you're the chances of bringing him down one on one, even with a guy as big as Jermaine Johnson, like you might not get him down. Mm -hmm. So the possibility of a sack wasn't even. It was like I'm thinking that's a one percent chance. Yep. I'm like, good, get get the pressure, force him out, like that. That was it because he was running so hard toward the sideline. I'm thinking, chase him out of bounds, hold him to it, and then when, when he dove at his feet and just swiped his legs out from under him, I jumped off the couch. I, I was like, oh, yeah. you, just, you just don't see that. Um, you know, the fact he had to pick up, gain as much ground as he did on Josh Allen because, you know, he's coming off the edge. Allen's got a head start on him. Mm -hmm. And you just, again, you, you kind of, as you're watching, you're playing in your mind how you think something's going to go. 
and I'm just thinking he's going to throw it away or he's going to run out of bounds. There's no way Jermaine Johnson is going to close that much space and get him down. And he does it. And it, it was like, oh, my God, you know, huge play. Um, and, he, he, you know, again, he's, he's another guy. He's been a lot of fun to watch. Premier, you know, premier position, uh, uh, key spot. And, you know, you talk about starter reps on this line. I don't, you know, I, I don't know if anyone's going to get that. Like, I, and as much as, you know, right. I, I, early in the year, I, I I ripped that. Well, I've, I've been ripping it for years now. Um, yeah. The lack of the rep, the lack of reps for Quinn, Quinn and Williams has been driving me nuts. But um, so I haven't looked at the actual numbers, but someone I did see a headline that, um, what you know, slowly but surely, Quinn and Williams is seeing his snap count tick upward. Um, yes, so it's almost yeah. kind of it's almost kind of along the lines of what I was saying earlier about Zach Wilson. Like I I I rip that because I'm like you're not getting your best player on the field the maximum number of reps. But yes. if the Jets are now kind of doing that. It's it's showing that look it, if we want to be our best let's get our best guy out on the field more, um, so it's not that I hate the idea of a rotation and keeping guys fresh I love that idea, but I just don't love the idea of not making ex- exceptions for your elite talents and it looks like that's starting to happen, um, so starter reps starter reps on this team might be twenty two twenty three reps um, right and if 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 it keeps guys fresh and productive. Um, I'm all for it, and that's and that's part of the reason I think that, you know, while, while it may not be the popular pick, I think sort of, you know, certainly not in the, not in the first round. Well, again, depending on where they are, but I think in those first three picks this year, you could see an interior D lineman um, to fortify that depth because, you know, as we said, Nathan Shepard, he'll be on his way out anyway. Um, Solomon Thomas, he can certainly be upgraded. So mm-hmm. you want to, I mean, how perfect would it be to, you want as little drop off as possible as you're rotating these guys out. Now you're not going to find another Quinn and Williams. The odds of that are slim to none. But if you can just get a guy who's at a high level, um, maybe maybe that sort of second third round pick is worth taking an interior D lineman. Yeah, absolutely. And just to give you your monthly Quinn and Williams update, dating back to the Miami game, so the last five ball games, Quinn and Williams is averaging sixty nine point two five snaps per game with a minimum of 62 percent that was in the denver game which understandably so okay 69 percent, right average over the last five weeks okay i think i think you said average 69 snaps i was like oh my oh, god no, oh i'm sorry 69 <laughs> yeah, uh, percent yeah. of snaps yep <laughs> like, minimum, wow he really is seeing an uptick no 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 no. You gotta I, play I, an offense too <laughs> yeah right he minimum of 62 percent in one week against the Denver Broncos and a maximum of 74% against the Buffalo Bills. So even the last two weeks, 72.7, 74.1, they are over 70% finally with Quinn and Williams. I feel like we've been preaching to the choir about that. So they're finally over 70 and it's working. I think Quinn and Williams, obviously he won defensive player of the month for the AFC. So it's obviously working. Give him more freaking snaps. And to go with Jermaine Johnson, he has 19% snap share every game. That's including three zeros. So that's not fully indicative of what he has done. Averaging 29.5% of snaps, which is about 17 to 18 snaps a game. So if that's what their formula is with Jermaine Johnson, I'm okay. I would like to see it up a little bit, maybe 25 snaps in a game. I don't think he's reached no more than 22 snaps in a game since Pittsburgh 
Since then, it's been 15, three games out, and 15. So I would like to see a slight uptick, but like you said, with the rotation, you got to keep them healthy. You have to keep your your best guys on the field as much as possible. Quinnen, Carl, JFM, now Rankins is out, but Jermaine Johnson should see an uptick, especially based off what we saw in Buffalo. So that's, that's Jermaine Johnson, our second first round pick all the way up at the 10th overall spot wide receiver Garrett Wilson from Ohio state another Ohio state playmaker his 2022 stats in nine games he has 394 snaps 63 targets which leads the team 42 receptions so good for 66.6 percent so basically two-thirds of his catches or targets are catches 522 yards 12.4 yards per reception, which is very good. Two touchdowns, both against Cleveland, and two total drops. Um, He also has 12 missed tackles forced, um, the latest of which was a – I don't don't even know how to explain the juke move that he put on that defender, but he just stopped. It's sort of like – to me, that's like a a stop and go, you know. um, Yes. You know, like hit hit the brakes and accelerate, like boom, boom, like just – that, you and know, it was amazing those... how quickly he actually yeah. did it. And yeah, he's just so shifty with the ball in his hands. Um, he started the season in the slot and he has switched since since then, switched to the perimeter. Um, I think that's another mailbag question that we'll dive deeper into, but he's still seeing success on the perimeter. And that's going to open up way more options for this offense in the long term if you're able to move a guy like Garrett Wilson. Between the snap, the perimeter, the slot, inside or outside slot, get them on the move like they've been doing. Do you like Garrett Wilson's role as it is now, or do you prefer him in the slot? And what is your moment from Garrett Wilson this year that sticks out to you? Well, I, I like, you know, as I said earlier, once they, you know, reintroduce Elijah Moore into the offense, um, I would yeah. prefer him, you know, even though I think more can win inside or outside. I don't I don't think you want more on the outside all the time, you know, mm-hmm. get it having jump balls thrown his way. But um, but he can win on the outside. You'd want him to play predominantly in this predominantly in the slot, which is why I like the idea of Wilson seeing the outside a bit more. Um his get off his, his initial quickness, his ability to, you know, to to create separation. It has been absolutely fantastic. You know, he, he's he's one of those guys. And again, Elijah Moore does a lot of the same things in terms of that that sort of shifty quickness and and the ability to to leave guys in the, in the dust. Um, watching it, it's just been so nice because that you know this this is sort of for years now. I've been joking and saying, when is the Jets' offense going to enter like this century? Um, right. You, you just you get you get so tired of watching so many other teams have receivers who can just get open. Yep. And it's like, why can't the Jets find someone to do this? And now they have a guy. I mean, I, I even, you know, when they're, when they're playing the Bills, I'm thinking, you better stop throwing it to Garrett Wilson because, like, eventually Buffalo is going to close up those lanes and pick one off because yeah. it, it felt like every ball was going to him. But he was creating enough initial separation yep. that it didn't matter. It's all right. Well, I guess keep throwing to him because he just keeps getting open. And, you know, they didn't close up any lanes where, you know, sort of sneak a defender in there and try to pick it off. So if that's going to keep working, you know, keep doing it until it doesn't. But it's, you know, the, the signature the signature moment has to be the, to me anyway, the game winner in Cleveland. 
Oh, you yeah. know, so it's so early in his career. It's back in Ohio. He's taunting the Ohio fans, which I didn't see that coming from a million miles away because no, nope. you know, got Ohio State product. You thought there'd be a little mutual respect, not yeah. so much. Garrett Wilson was getting in their faces. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, what a great moment for him! A great moment for for Jets fans to see like such an early, huge, productive game from a guy who you hope would be a corner piece, and he's been just that. Yeah, I, I let you go first with the marquee moment because I just assumed that we'd have the same one for Garrett Wilson. But I will mention he did have two moments in the Bills game that are definitely noteworthy. I think that creative um, pseudo Philly special where they did the double reverse and he fumbled the ball and then he dove for the ball head first while losing his helmet. I think that that is something that needs to be brought up because this dude is just a dog. He did not care that Tremaine Edmonds helmet was ready to just crush his skull on the field. He was not losing that football by any means. So I thought I that think was... I, I'm, I'm not saying he's not a dog, but that was also like, was so I might scary. not, I might not be allowed on the bus if I don't get that ball back after, and after double clutching and coughing that up. How that, many pump fakes are we going to do before uh, you yeah, just like, tuck it or throw it? Okay, yes. I think that was him saying, I will, I don't want to have to walk home, so I better helmet Seriously. or not. And then the other moment that I liked from him in this Buffalo game still was um, the Zach Wilson third down scramble in the red zone because – and I haven't watched um, much of the All-22, I'll be honest. I've just been excited about the win that I'll take next week and watch the All-22. But that second or third Zach Wilson scramble for a first down in the red zone, Garrett Wilson was triple covered. And all it took was one of those defenders to see Zach Wilson taking off out of the pocket, turning around and tackling him. But they were so consumed with guarding Garrett Wilson at the end of that game. Like you mentioned, when are they going to put an extra body on him and, and anticipate a pass and pick it? Zach Wilson did the smart thing. Okay, I see three jerseys on Garrett Wilson. I'm just going to boot and run and get a first down and keep the drive going. So those are my two secondary moments from Garrett Wilson where he wasn't necessarily doing the best thing in the world, but he was making an impact one way or another. Last but not least, the guy, the absolute lockdown machine, all the superlatives that go along with the corner, Sauce Gardner, fourth overall pick, basically somebody that was built in a lab um, his freakish length, his speed. He he even said it on Josh Allen's final uh, pass attempt of the, the football game on the fourth and 21 that he had to play catch up on Gabriel Davis because he didn't mm -hmm. anticipate not just Josh Allen, but any NFL quarterback actually making that throw, moving to their left in the pocket and on like pseudo on the run. Josh Allen heaved that thing 70 yeah. yards. It hit, it hit Gabriel Davis in the chest, I'm not going to lie, but Sauce did just enough to affect the play. And I think his technique of watching the eyes and the hands of the what receiver, and as soon as the receiver yeah. puts his hands up, he's right there in the middle. That technique, to me, is so much better for cornerbacks than the ones that teach you to turn your head. Because as soon as you turn your head to locate the ball, you're surrendering at least half if not full steps to your receivers. So Sauce Gardner, he uses his length and his size, but his technique is just so clean. Every I don't even know if there's one specific marquee moment. You have the Romeo Dobbs uh, corner post stop route. 
You have Mark Andrews at the goal line. You have Jamar <laughs> Chase down the right sideline. Um, this past week, obviously against Gabriel Davis, like you can, he has two interceptions that I don't even think are his best plays because I think it's yep. more of the quarterback just, yep. you know, being bad on that specific play that his pass breakups are almost more more impactful than his interceptions and, he, and he's got one every week he's exactly. got every week he's breaking he up passes he doesn't just lead rookies in passes defense he leads the entire nfl in passes defense and eventually you know rob salas says you got to stop testing him but as we mentioned at the top you have dj reed on the opposite side so you're really kind of screwed either that's way. what i was just gonna say you and know you i might just... as well try the rookie because he's a little green behind the ears he's not he hasn't seen everything obviously the mm-hmm. digs play but they always think that sauce is the matchup you can take advantage of. And quite frankly, it's just not true. It's, there's not a there's not a guy in the world that sauce is intimidated by that he's gonna surrender big catches to on a consistent basis. So yeah, listen, it's it's pick your poison. If if Sauce Gardner was playing yep. opposite an inferior corner, he probably wouldn't see a target. No. It's that simple. But that's you know, I'm I'm glad Salah said it. And you know, I've uh DJ Reed, you can't say enough about. And I said earlier, he had to me what was the best play of the game on the deep ball to Diggs down the left sideline. Um, you know, which would have been a touchdown. I think it was still 17 all at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you, you can't. What are you going to say? We'll avoid Sauce Gardner. Okay, well then throw to the other guy who doesn't give up any completions. Like, does it matter? It's it's one or the other. Neither guy has given up plays. Um, so Sauce has been. You know, I, I was thinking about it earlier and. I thought to myself, you know, if you look hard enough, you'll you find examples of it with every team. But it feels like in this scenario, um, what the Texans did is usually what the Jets do. Like mm-hmm. the Jets usually pass on the guy who ends up being a stud yep. and they take the guy who isn't. Um, now, I don't know how good Singletary's been, to be honest, or Stingley. Um, but um, I, I've read some up and down stuff on him. Like some weeks he's been good, some weeks he's been bad. Um, yeah. which That just tells me sauce has been better. And maybe oh, in the end, maybe in the end, they'll both be elite. I don't know. But I just know right now, if uh, if the Jets had an opportunity at sauce and they didn't take him and he was playing like this for somebody else, you'd just be thinking, geez, this is always us. Always, we always take the wrong one, you know, not right. this time, not yep. this time. And and I, I, I think I mentioned this recently, but it's, you know, it's, it's worth repeating to me because of how good sauce Gardner was. Um, You know, when I said that if sauce Gardner isn't a stud just stop scouting yeah yeah because if he's not it nobody is it's i mean i we know the draft is guesswork we know there's no locks we know there's no sure things but you watch that guy and you're like okay if he doesn't pan out then let's just stop spending all this money on scouting and like use use a mock draft simulator to pick our players because you can't get it right anyway um, so he felt like he was a can't miss guy and he's been, he's from, from day one, from snap one, he's been phenomenal. And, um, and that, that's actually something I was, I meant to look at that. I'm going to look at that later. And someone just commented in the, in the room there that Reeves yep. had a, a, a damn good rookie year. Um, and like, to me, if memory serves, like Revis became Revis in like year two or three, his first year and a half, he was good. He was not right. this good this quick. I just I don't I don't believe that was the case. Um, so I was going to look at their numbers. You know, Revis through his first however many games. I meant to do that before the show. That's I think that'll be an interesting thing to look at. But he's been phenomenal. 
Yeah, just one last um, stat on Sauce. He's been targeted 46 times. He's allowed 20 completions, so a good bit under 50%. I believe it's 46%. uh, 189 yards. And if you look at those on a game-to-game basis, the highest yards in a game that he allowed was 51 to the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't, I mean, the 42 yarder to digs, then you have. I was going to say, did, did he not give up 10 yards the rest of that game? No, he let up one, one catch on three targets for 42 yards. Wow. He literally did. He said, that's it. I got you. That's I'm locked crazy. in. Nobody's going to touch my side of the field for the rest of the game. They didn't. One, one touchdown allowed. And that was in the Cleveland game, which this is PFF. Um, accounting him for that touchdown yeah that was a miscommunication between him and lamarcus joiner and i will die and we, on the hill we, we said that at the time we, exactly. it was clear that and they still haven't changed it although motioning they have, towards each other yep they have changed one of sauces touchdowns allowed in the new england game they took it off and they said that it was not on him he it's was not sauce went after them it, yeah it's sort of jets twitter and i swear anytime jets twitter gets behind a cause you make damn sure that you come correct because Jets Twitter is undefeated <laughs> in almost anything, says the seventh Pepsi Rookie of the Week belt in nine weeks. That's ridiculous. So, Sauce has one touchdown allowed. He won it this past week. He was the I one know. that won it his I second know. time, which is again. just absurd. He and and you know, and, and as we've said, you know, it's it's a thing. It's it's a fan vote. So it, it, yeah, what we know We're from the Jets Pepsi thing is that Jets fans vote better than anybody. That's you know, that make to some people that's a joke, and to some people that's cool and it's loyalty, whatever. But as I've said before, the fact they're nominated, and yep. I don't mean it in like a there. a BS Academy Awards. It's an honor to be nominated. I'm yeah. saying like someone, whoever is is looking at all the rookies and deciding who are the top three or four every week, or the top four or five, however many they nominate, every single week there's a Jets player. So yep. even if they weren't winning it every week, I wouldn't really care. It's the fact that these guys are playing well enough for somebody to say every single week, this Jets player is one of the best rookies. When, you know, one week there was two of them. So it's yes, exactly. the, fact that, the fact they're being recognized on a weekly basis for being one of the top rookies in the NFL is good enough for me. Winning the belt is just it's just kind of funny at this point. Yeah, exactly. And I honestly was looking at the the box score and I was like, damn, eight for ninety-two. I don't think that gets it for Garrett. Maybe we have a down week for the Jets. And then I scrolled to the defensive side. I'm like, shit, Sauce had a pick. I'm like, they're going to put Sauce on the list. And as soon as you yep. get nominated, like you said, if you're we a Jet, come out you're winning Jet, it. Jets Twitter comes out in droves, and I love it because it is a fan vote. It is nice to see, but it's not like it's fake. The sauce right. at the end of the year could very well win not just offensive rookie of the year, but often or, or excuse me, defensive rookie of the year, but defensive player of the year at this rate. If Which you don't allow a touchdown, crazy. if you don't allow a touchdown or more than 50 yards in your entire rookie season, I don't know. I mean, I know Tariq Woolen has been very good with his four or five picks for Seattle, one for touchdown, but yeah. The sauce, man. You just you can't say enough about how deserving that is. And for the Jets fan to say, you know, we got the the best player in the draft through halfway of their first season, and you can already (laughs) tell the return on investment is going to be this positive. You can't just two thumbs up for Joe Douglas. I'm not gonna, you know, sit here and we can kind of transition into our mailbag with this one. I wanted to lead this one off. This is a question that It'll come as a bit of a surprise to you because we didn't talk about it, but I've seen this before. 
discussed a ton on Jets Twitter, Joe Douglas getting a contract extension. I believe he's on under contract for four more seasons through 2026. So he has three more seasons after this that he's under contract. Is it time to extend Joe Douglas now, or do you wait a couple more years? Because obviously GMs don't go into their final year of the deal without knowing what's next. They're going to get that deal done before that lame duck year. So are you still saying let's wait two more years, let it play out with Joe Douglas and then extend him? Or are you just of the belief that we should extend him now and show him that this is his team moving forward? Well, that that's crazy. I wonder if this is somebody who follows both of us. This was actually like an exact question on the mailbag. I just said I did earlier. Um, so, um, so, so, but yeah, uh, ha, you know, it, it is something that should be discussed. I think that uh, I, I think I, I can't think of a reason not to, you right. know, I mean, how many years of atrocious GMs have we had? Um, what, you know, I've, I've talked about it and I, you know, I, I was guilty of it too. Um, and, you know, and, and I think I said, it. you know, part of it is, if you can't enjoy the off season, if you can't be optimistic in the off season, when, when your team sucks, like what the hell is the point of being a yeah. fan? Like you don't have to have 12 months of misery, whether guys work out or not, you can have a few months of optimism. So I definitely, every draft, I was like rose colored glasses, trying to think of a way in my head that these guys will work out looking for any positive mm-hmm. nuggets from, from people who know more than I do. You know, I remember like Daniel mm-hmm. Jeremiah raving about the Ardarius Stewart pick. I'm like, all right, great. Here's a respected inside guy who yeah, thinks yeah. this guy can play, so he must be at least decent, right? No, he sucked. You know, Trevon Wesco, you know, Brian Baldinger's raving about him and what an impact player he's going to be. And, I mean, listen, the, you know, the problem is – not problem, but the thing is when these guys get drafted, they got drafted. Like, you can go to their college games. You are going to find highlights. You're going to find plays – where they look good. And that's of course what you're going to lean on because you, you know, as I always say that like, show me what the guy can do. Like, I don't, I'm not that interested in what he can't do because good yep. coaches should be putting guys in position to do the things they're good at. So if I can find guys making plays like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to err on the side of optimism and, and hope these guys can play. But as we know, most of them couldn't um, Joe Douglas, on the other hand, his picks can and and have played very well and i would absolutely especially i mean a he's done enough to earn it as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. um and b as far as the 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 johnson brothers go i know you know i know nobody's interested in throwing money away but you're billionaires like you have thousands and thousands and thousands of millions of dollars yep like you can afford if if you if you spend 20 of them on joe douglas and catastrophe strikes and he's on his way out the door in a couple of years, you'll, you'll manage, you'll get by. Um, so why not, you know, after this season, lock Joe Douglas up for, you know, extend him for a couple more years. Yeah. I, I'm pretty much of the same belief that when you know, you have something good, just lock it up. Like I, I I'm going to butcher this quote, but it, it was somewhere, something along the lines of, if you know, something needs to be done now, or eventually just do it now because eventually it's going to come time for Joe Douglas to get paid. And I think the more security you give him now of saying, Hey, we're going to trust you, not just, you know, for the remainder of your current contract, but extended years after that, Joe Douglas is going to feel more, more confident and, and able to do what he does best. And that's make trades, find those draft picks, 
I, I was just writing down a couple names as you were going there. Brandon Eccles, Michael Carter, one and two. Denzel Mims, Ashton Davis making big plays, special teams and, and on defense with the interceptions. He's hitting on these mid-round picks, so you can cherry-pick all you want. Well, the Jets picking at 4, 10, 2, 14, all these high picks. Yeah, sure, anybody can hit on those picks, but it takes a damn good GM to hit on the third, fourth, fifth-round picks, and I think that's what Joe Douglas is also excelling at. And then you mentioned his trades. I mean, the James Robinson trade looks like a, a very good win for a fifth or sixth, whatever you're giving up. All his draft day trades have only worked out. I don't think there's a trade you can really point to that went sour for him. Obviously, Sam and, and Jamal were the biggest ones that really turned around this team. So, yeah, yeah I'm of the belief that you, you just got to lock up a good thing when you know you have a good thing. Um, our next question, uh, I believe this was one of our first questions that we got. John on Twitter asks, what on earth will be the starting offensive line in two weeks? So that's the, the Patriots rematch coming out of the bye week 10. Truthfully, I don't think this is um, a hard question only because I think four of your five offensive linemen are already in place. Dwayne Brown is going to be your left tackle moving forward unless he just implodes or his shoulder gives out. Lakin Tomlinson has been up and down, but mostly up. Connor McG uh, McGovern has kind of been an unsung hero. You let me finish. Uh, excuse me, my dog. Connor McGovern has been an unsung hero at center. Nate Herbig, the guy at right guard. So really it just leaves your right tackle position. And to me, I know Cedric Abway has been the guy for the last two, two and a half weeks since Max Mitchell went down. But I think whoever gets back first, Max Mitchell or George Fant, is probably going to be your starter. But I could see a case where Max Mitchell, even if he's not healthy first, George Fant is, Max Mitchell becomes the right tackle when he's fully healthy. Um, do you see it a different way, or what? what is your offensive line combination for New England? Um, I think it's, as you just said, I, but I think if everyone's healthy, I think it's Fant. He's the veteran guy. He's done more. I think okay. if he struggle, if I think if he struggles – you know, because he he did have a hard time earlier this year, but we kind of chalked that up to injuries. Yep. Um, if he comes back and he's supposedly healthy and he's still having a hard time, he may have a shorter leash because you've got someone to fall back on in Max Mitchell. But I think once once things you know, um, once things get back to normal in terms of him and Mitchell being healthy, I think Fant becomes the right tackle. And and as you said, yeah, the other four spots are set. There's really not much reason to uh, to shuffle anyone else around. I apologize for coughing nonstop here. And my, my, I think this is my second time with COVID. It's my first, my first positive test, but uh, oh man, it's uh, it exactly the same symptoms uh, when things kicked off. So I'm, I'm like, feel like I'm gonna throw up. I'm coughing so hard, but sorry. Go ahead. All right. Last week it was me. This week it's you. It's fine. Glad there's a, a mute button on these streams. The second question, oh wow, comes from another John on Twitter. He said. How bad is the loss of, he said Solomon Thomas, but I'm assuming he means Sheldon Rankins. Sheldon Rankins. And, and what is the fallout? And we've obviously touched on this before, and I wanted to save this deeper dive for the mailbag portion. I think they're in good hands. I think everybody thought JFM was going to move to inside um, on pass rush snap downs and allow for a Jermaine Johnson or Bryce Huff on the outside, pair JFM in the middle with Quinn and Williams. So I think that's obviously 
uh, one of your options. Second, you mentioned it, Tanzel Smart or Jonathan Marshall. One of these guys is going to be promoted off the practice squad, at least in my opinion. You have three elevations of a practice squad member before you have to sign him to the 53. So with the bye week, you add three games. If you say you have Jonathan Marshall for three games and Sheldon Rankin's still not back, then you can start elevating Tanzel Smart or vice versa. So I don't think they're in an immediate um, bind to go out and grab a defensive interior player. Something happened to Glenn, but I'm sure he'll be back any second. So you have the options on the defensive interior, and you also have Tanzel Smart that you can elevate with the combination that we saw in the preseason of Smart and Michael Clemens. Michael Clemens was used on the defensive interior quite a bit in the preseason, and I'm not going to say he was super successful, but in the fourth quarter of those preseason games where the Jets were coming back with Chris Strebler and having just amazing um, you know, comeback stories, so to speak. Michael Clemens and Tenzel Smart were generating a ton of pressure up the middle. So I always think that that's going to be another option for them as well. So I don't necessarily think the loss of Sheldon Rankins is, is one that's going to derail the defense by any stretch, but they are going to have to be smart in how they manage their roster so that they don't have to go out and waste a 53-man spot on somebody that they could just elevate from the practice squad. Uh, I'm not sure if we have Glenn back or not. I don't have his picture, but I'm not sure if he can talk. If if you're there, Glenn, just let me know. No, I still don't think we have Glenn. Um, all right. I'm going to keep moving on with the mailbag while he fixes his issue. I believe it's just his camera. Um, another one here off Twitter. I'm not really sure how to pronounce this, so I'm just going to say the only part of the name I can say, and that's Henton. He said, did you have any Doritos and beer during your break? Um, Gwen and I talked about this one offline. We thought it was kind of funny. We wanted to throw it out there. I personally, I don't drink. Um, that's not really my cup of tea. And as far as Doritos go, I don't, I don't eat a lot of snacks that get my fingers real cheesy. I'm always on my phone or on like my computer or something. So cheesy snacks aren't necessarily it. Um, I do occasionally like to eat cheese doodles, but I do have to limit them because I got to wash my hands after about five of them because they get my fingertips. So, so dirty. Um, we're going to try again with Glenn. I don't see his camera up, but I think I heard a little bit of his audio. Glenn, are you there? I'm here. I think, um, Oh. I don't know what happened. The uh, I I didn't. Uh, you got me. Yep, I see you now. I hear you now. Yeah, it's weird. I didn't. My uh, my. <laughs> I was gonna say maybe it was COVID. Um, no, I um, I didn't have my uh my laptop plugged in, but it's been charging like all day, so I thought it'd be good to go mm -hmm. for a few hours. Um, so uh, yeah, back now. Doritos and beer. Um, haven't haven't had a beer. Um, I, I you know I know you don't drink. I do. Uh, haven't had a beer. I, I don't drink, you know, nearly as often as I used to. Uh, Doritos, uh, interesting thing. Doritos in the in the UK, um, not they're not big on the nacho cheese ones. They have like a tangy cheese and like a chili cheese. Uh, okay, yeah. I can, you know, being, you know, I I can still get on the uh, on the Air Force base locally here as a retiree, where I can still get the the, the real Doritos. Mm -hmm. um, 
but haven't had those in a while. Uh, they're one of those things I rarely have them. And when I do, I'm like, should have these more often. Yeah, I didn't even think about that being in the UK, how uh, brands or flavors at least could be different. So that's like that's a funny one there. Um, all right, our last one from Twitter, and then we're going to move over to the live chat that I see has had a good amount of questions. I see about three at least. Um, this one comes from. I got. I got. A, I have a couple. I have a couple that were DM'd to me as well. Oh, perfect. All right, this one from Conservative. He says, "Are the Jets Super Bowl contenders?" Um, I think the the short of it for me is why not? Um, if you're a playoff contender, you are a Super Bowl contender. I'm not going to say that that's a guarantee, but if you make it to the dance, why, why not? Especially if the jets were to manage a home game. I know that's very tough, especially with the new playoff schedule with only one team getting a buy, you really have to fight for that first seed to really have a, an advantage in the playoffs. But if the jets can even make it as the seventh seed, the third wild card, I don't see why not because you think about the second, second <clears throat> seed would play the seventh seed. So you'd play a tough competition team, but if the Jets are able to hang with the Bills, why wouldn't they be able to beat the second seed in the AFC? So my my short of it is why not us? Um, I think it gets a lot more nuanced um, each week when you break into the matchups. But at six and three, all you need is three, four more wins. So if you go 500 the rest of the season, you're in the playoffs. You're at the dance. So my my, my motto is going to be why not us until until the Jets prove me wrong at this point. Glenn, how about you? Yeah, listen, uh, that was one of the questions I got. It was actually from a a friend of mine who's a Bills fan, you know, and he, he obviously saw what happened this week and he said, you know, the Jets are the can they win the division? Um and and that was part of the reason I mentioned what I did earlier. You know, we saw with Mark Sanchez like how far a team can go with defense. Now, the difference there was that, you know, Mark Sanchez played with a much better offensive line. Um, so the running game was much stronger, but at the same time, if Zach Wilson is that little bit better than Sanchez, which he should be, I mean, just by the fact he can make more plays with his legs, he's more of a threat. He's a stronger arm than than Sanchez did. And probably, again, once everyone's back to full strength, we'll have a better receiving core. And this defense would, you know, keep coming back to it. But And I mentioned this weeks ago, uh, Dylan, I, I may have even brought it up last week, um, but I keep coming back to it because of the time I spent. You know, I've mentioned how I – um when I when I lived in Florida years ago, I mean, I lived in Florida many times, um, but one time in particular for one stretch was during those great Tony Dungy uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers years mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, that that era. And so I watched the Jets every week down at the local bar, but the Bucks were always on TV. So I'd, I'd watch them during the commercials or when the Jets games went, you know, between plays. So I saw a lot of Bucks football. And that team used to do what the Jets do now. And like they used to get home with four, which meant they could drop seven consistently. And, it, you know, to me, this kind of goes back to and I know I'm getting a little off track here, but this is the thought I keep having. Like for all the years, the Jets kept drafting linemen and busting, you know, you know, whether it was Quentin Copels or, you know, Mo Wilk, who we talked about, who ended up being a bust, Leonard Williams, mm -hmm. all these guys like it was frustrating but having watched those Bucks teams, I kind of got it. I was like, look, you're you're playing Tom Brady every year. You gotta be able to get to him without blitzing so you have maximum coverage on the back end. Yeah. And it just never happened. Now, with undrafted Bryce Huff, and you know, without having to use six picks on the D line, of course, you know, you paid big money for Lawson and you did use a premium pick on 
on uh, Quinn and Williams. But, you know, you, you Rankins is a, a free agent addition. Like, basically, piece together D-line instead of six, seven, eight premium picks. Um, if this D-line can keep winning and the secondary can keep playing the way they are, this t- you can you can beat anybody with that formula. You know, I'm, again, same as you. I'm not saying they're going to the Super Bowl or anything like that um, or that they're definitely going to the playoffs, but they're certainly in position to make it. And once you make it, man, and especially, again, you can shut down. You just held the best offense in the NFL, arguably the best offense in the NFL, to 17 points. So, yep. Yeah, and uh, while you were doing that, I remembered that I read a PFF article or it's more of a graph but they showed the remainder uh strength of schedule and the jets last week when we were talking about it they had the second hardest schedule and this is just how much it changes on a week-to-week basis they are now at the 18th hardest strength of schedule so now in the second half of you know difficulty um with an average win total of 9.8 so almost 10 wins so basically they're saying Four and four in the back half is very doable for the Jets. Um, 9.8 wins would be good for eighth in the the entire league projection. Um, They have a 64% chance to make the playoffs, so that's very good. But they also have an 11% chance to win the division. And I think that that 11%, while it's pretty small, is... 11% 11% more than we've had the past decade. And now that yeah, we actually yeah. have the chance and we have the win over Buffalo, obviously we play them one more time so that we could always end up even. But the fact that you your first matchup against the Bills was a win, your first matchup against the Dolphins was a win, and you took the Patriots down to the wire and pretty much slipped let, let one slip away. That's the winning formula of winning your division that's the easiest route to the playoffs is win your division so i think the jets are well on their way to make the playoffs compete for the afc east title shit the afc title so i'm excited why not us i'm gonna pump it out into the into the world for the next eight weeks um i'm gonna and and that's why that's that's just yeah just real quick that's one of the one of the big things with the strength of schedule situation is that it can change so dramatically because when i when i saw people saying talking about the, the Jets, this insane strength of schedule. Um, NFL season is short in terms of, you know, m- mathematically, like percentages. Yes. Like before the Bills game, 25% of your remaining games were against the Bills. You know what I mean? You had eight games left. Two of them were against yep. Buffalo. Well, yep. not only did you win, you win the one you play, and now you've only got them once. So, like, that's a huge swing. Um, you sure. know, people I would see I would see people say all the time, like, why every year the Patriots win the division – and they win the Super Bowl, and the Jets have the hardest strength of schedule. I'm like, because the Jets play the Patriots twice, <laughs> and the Patriots play the Jets twice. So yep. the Jets get the worst team twice, and the Jets get the best team twice. That's why the strength of schedule is so skewed, and it looks like this sort of, oh, my God, it's so unfair. No, you're just so bad, and the teams in your division are so good, you have to play them, and they're going to bump your strength of schedule up. Yep. Um do you want to go with the live listener comments or do you want to go with your DM comments uh, questions first? Um, well, let's see. Uh, I already covered one of them. That was, uh, okay. it, it sort of, it sort of tied in cause you had, you know, one person asked, could they win the division or the super bowl? Yep. And, and one of the, one of the DMS I had, Oh, the, um, one of them that I had was the Elijah Moore situation. You know, yes, what do yes. we see? Where do we see that going in the future? 
And um, I, I think, you know, for me personally, um, I think he sent out a, another really cryptic tweet the other day. Um, mm -hmm. I meant to save it. I don't start to worry. Sense. I'm starting to worry. Like what's, what's going on with this guy? I'm, I'm going to try not to focus on that, but it's like, mm, is his head really in this? Um, I'm just going to just sticking to the football aspect. He's a talented guy. I think the goal is to get him reintegrated into the offense in the coming weeks. And as I said earlier, if you do, um, th this offense can be lethal. Um, but is, yeah. is his head in the game? You know, we're, we're going to find out. I'm not going to speculate on, on his, his, you know, mentally, if he's, if he's invested anymore. Of course. And, and all we can hope for is that this, this new role that they are trying him out in, in the slot, like Robert Salas said, you can only hope that this pays dividends for not only him, but Garrett Wilson. I think we saw Garrett Wilson thrive on the boundary. So now we can mix and match and do a lot of position, uh, formation flexibility with how you use your wide receivers. And uh, I was scrolling deep into the comments of an Elijah Moore tweet and somebody mentioned that Mike LaFleur had trouble using Santana Moss in Washington as his slot receiver. I'm not going to say that that is true or not, but if that is a legitimate concern that he can't necessarily utilize his slot players to the best of their abilities, I think that's kind of a, a red flag for Mike LaFleur. But at the same time, Mike LaFleur does so much good stuff to this offense that if that's his only problem, that he can't, you know, utilize a shorter, shiftier slot guy, but he can create and get guys open on the boundary. I'm okay with that. I think Elijah Moore, similar to how we talked about Jeremy Ruckert, the second half of the season is going to be a big focus on him and, and his usage because at the end of the day, I'm personally scared that we're just going to, you know, smile through the rest of the season and say, I'm happy to be alive every day I wake up is a great day. And then as soon as the season's over, he's out and he's on a new team. That's, that's my fear as a, a fan of him as a, a player. Um, but yeah, you got to start wondering at what point is, is his head in it? Um, I hope that an uptick in targets and your head's right back in it and you're ready to, you know, put your best foot forward for the team because his 27 snaps that he ran probably about 16 orbit motions around Zach Wilson. I think that it's almost like subliminal, like, hey, the team doesn't revolve around you, but it revolves around Zach Wilson, and you're doing that on 17% of your plays. So it's kind of just a weird situation that I hope for both sides, the Jets and Elijah Moore, it gets fixed before he leaves and is a superstar for somebody else. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 concerning. Um uh, like you just don't want to go down that road um, prematurely, but and I, and I can't remember what it was. He's, he's we've seen just a few tweets from him where it's uh, I I I worry about where he's at, and um, and I'll I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it's a wait and see, and it's unfortunate that halfway through the season we're still in wait and see with one of our skilled most skilled offensive players, but. It's where we are, and with six wins already on the season, I feel like the less distraction talk that we have, the better. Let's just keep focusing on the wins, but that's where we are, and Elijah Moore is going to continue to be a distraction until otherwise. We can now move into the uh, YouTube comments here. I've scrolled all the way up back up to the top, so I'd get them in chronological order so we don't skip anybody. Um, this one came from Frankie five minutes into the show. He said, would like 
like your thoughts on how the Jets should plan to deal with the Patriots hurry up offense that really seemed to get the best of them. What do you guys think? Um, in terms of the Patriots, uh, not necessarily in their hurry up offense per se, but just in general, um, Bill Belichick came out and was asked about um, Shaq Leonard, Darius Leonard, now Shaq Leonard, uh, knowing the offensive plays before they are run and keying in on them and using his anticipation to blow up a lot of the the Patriots plays. And when asked about it, Bill Belichick gave a long long comment that included cj mosley doing the exact same thing the week prior so i'm not necessarily concerned that the jets can't stop the patriots offense maybe their hurry up was giving them a bit of fits due to not being able to get your um, substitution off the field in time i feel like that's why a lot of teams go hurry up because your d line is at at that time where it's ready to be substituted out and they're like, all right, nope, we're going to just keep pressing them and hands on the hips, get them tired so that when the backups come in, they now have to play a longer uh, set of snaps to let the starters rest up basically. So I think the Jets can handle the Patriots offense. I'm not really worried about the Patriots offense. Um, We saw them limit them to five field goals with Nick Folk. Um, So if that's, if that's what they're going to say is, Hey, let let's have Nick Folk beat us. I'm okay with that game plan. So Ramondre Stevenson, you're not going to be able to stop him completely. But as we've talked about, you can shut down the pass game for the Patriots and really, you know, not load up the box, but focus more on Ramondre and Mac Jones in the backfield. So what were your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, my thoughts were just that the Jets, the Jets are going to deal with the Patriots by being the better team. Um, you know, you, yeah, can, that's, that's you, you can, you can run, you can run hurry up all you want, but if you can't get open, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to sustain drives. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's not to say they won't move the ball a little bit and have, you know, ha- have some time of possession. But th- this the Jets defense is good enough that I don't see the pass being able to just consistently sustain long drives and wear the Jets down. Um, you, you know, they'll, they'll have a few drives. They'll score some points. But this isn't yeah. um, this isn't a Tom Brady led offense where they're going to methodically, you know, pick you apart and, and put up 45 points. Um, and I know the Patriots will probably score 45 points. I said that, but. Yeah, right. And and I mean, you look at the quality of their scores. It was five Nick Folk field goals and an offensive pass interference pick rub route that the Patriots love to run in the red zone. And that yep. was all of their 22 points. So the Jets definitely had the, the formula in place to stop the Patriots offense. Um, we actually had a second one from Frankie. He said, if you guys have time, of course, we have the time. Um, do you think the ship has sailed on Makai Becton? If not, do you think he's going to stay a Jet? Or is he going somewhere else? Um, I'll kick it off. I don't think the ship has sailed on Makai Becton strictly because he's under contract. Um, until something unforeseen happens, you know, off the field with him that creates a rift between him and the organization, I see him being here until the, the remainder of his contract is up at a minimum. Um, Joe Douglas talked about it at his uh, trade deadline press conference that he should be healthy, completely healthy, 100% for OTAs. So that's obviously an encouraging sign for Makai. Get him back in here. Get him healthy in the rotation of offensive linemen. We talked about Max Mitchell being worthy of competes for a right tackle starting spot. Obviously, I don't think George Fant is going to be back based off his contract expiring and his play so far this season. So if you have a competition between Makai Becton and Max Mitchell to start next season, I think that would probably be the best case scenario 
after all of these injuries and all of the unfortunate things that have happened to Makai two seasons out of football due to injury, it, the most you could ask for is him to come back and be able to compete for a starting job. And I kind of think that's where we're at with Makai. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I was going to say, I, the, the ship hasn't sailed. He's, he's too young and he has too much talent to yep. give up on him. But the injuries have put almost, I almost view him the way I view Denzel Mims coming into this year. Like he'll be on the roster, he'll get a chance to show what he can do, but it's not going to stop the Jets from acquiring another tackle. Um, just yep. as I didn't like Mims wasn't going to stop them from getting another receiver. So I think that the Jets are going to address O line early in this draft. Um, mm-hmm. be, be, you know, even though they're winning now, they they need guys they can rely on. You know, Dwayne Brown is is a million years old. Um, as well as he's played, it's been nice, but he's not a long term guy. Fant, as you said, is a free agent. Mitchell, as we said, has played admirably, but it's not like he's a guy you can look at and say, we know he's our starter. So he's sort of a fringe or a guy who can compete for a starting job. So really going into next year, your only real starter is going to be 41, 40. No, he's 37, right? So Dwayne Brown will be 38, but, you know, he's he's 41 in tackle years. Um, So, yeah, Becton, ship hasn't sailed, but I Mm -hmm. expect them to add a tackle early in the draft. Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he had a follow-up. Do you think the backlash from the fans about being injured all the time is warranted? Uh, I'm going to say absolutely not. And quite frankly, I think it's bullshit. A player cannot help getting hurt when you get rolled up on by the worst offensive lineman in the team's history in the past three years, Greg Van Roten. You just can't, you can't help that. Obviously, the injury that he sustained this year was a bit different and it seemed like something that he was playing through at practice that just ultimately was not able to be played through. So no, you can't blame a player for injuries. I know you've harped on this before. If you draft a player with no injury history and he all of a sudden gets injured, that's not on him. It's not on the GM. It's just a case of bad injury luck. And I think that's basically where we're at with Makai. No other way to to sugarcoat it. It's unfortunate you can't be on the field, but we know Makai is what when he's on the field, what he can be. Yeah, I, I think um, a big part of that to me is is not only is the injury not his fault. If you look back at um, who's the, uh, the 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 orthopedist, the online guy, is it Doc, David Chow, whoever the yeah, the doc the is who, who does guy. The, Yeah, he um, mm-hmm. th- you know they they um, I know they miss sometimes, but they're probably ninety five percent accurate. Um, when yep. they say what they're seeing on film that, and, and they do project, I don't know, this is something actually Dylan, we didn't talk about enough. I think I mentioned it very briefly when it happened, they do like injury likelihood grades. Like before the year starts, they talk about things guys could face moving okay. forward. And they specifically pointed out, they said the surgery Mackay Becton had can lead to like you know, bone or whatever floating around in that area that could lead to a recurring injury. And that's exactly the injury he suffered. So it's not only, not only did Van Roten cost him that first year, the surgery he had was predicted that it could cost him more time. So really that one play has cost him two years. And I think anyone getting on Becton for that, um, I think it's terrible. I think he came into camp, you know, in, in shape and, you know, ready to play. Um, you know, could he have still lost another 10, 12 pounds? Yeah, maybe. What I'm not going to get into that. It's not, you know, a lot of guys show up to camp needing to lose a few pounds. Um, mm-hmm. It's, I, I, you know, I think what I think what hurts, and and I'm not saying the Jets or Beckton are wrong for this, but, you know, the, you get the, the online mobs to just want to attack everybody. Um, the fact that no one really knows his weight, it leaves, it leaves people room to say, I bet he weighs 390 pounds. 
Like, yeah. well, you don't know he does, but since you don't know he doesn't, it's just a he said, she said, and 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 people yeah. aren't going to get off there what they feel he weighs. Um, yeah, you like know, when the dietitian the fact, said he was under four hundred pounds. Yeah, I mean that was about that, that was about when, that was about the dumbest thing you could have said publicly. Oh, like I saw that, and I'm like, really? This is <laughs> this is the defense. Like he doesn't. He, good news, guys. He doesn't weigh four hundred. I mean, Jesus, you know, like that does leave room. I saw that and I was like, Jesus, he might be 370. Like if he's not yeah. at a number that you're willing to say publicly, that's a little scary. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going so that, to, I'm not going to assume the number that they want any of their offensive right. linemen with weight issues at, but I would assume right. that it's close to 365. So yeah, if you say he's under 400 and he's 395, you're still 30 pounds over what they want you to be. So yeah, they would have came out and said, Oh, Makai's at the weight we want him to be. He looks right. great. And, and, and when it. he show when he shows up and the team is like, we're not going to tell you what he weighs. And he says, I'm not going to tell you what I weigh. That's, you know, people are going to say, not well, then that's, that's, that's because you're 390 and you don't want to tell us. Exactly. Yep. So that part I can understand was warranted, but the, the getting on him on Twitter when like this man has a life, he has a family, he's a, he was expecting a child for most of the off season. And the last thing he wants to deal with is this petty Twitter nonsense from trolls saying that he's a big bust. And I'm very glad that he's able to, you know, embrace it and, you know, market off of it to a degree with his t-shirts, his big bust t-shirts. But at the end of the day, like you got you got to play, and it's unfortunate. And, and, and I will say though, a couple of things. Um, one, I've you know did it through Jet Nation, had them, <laughs> excuse me, had them retweet it. I over the last I don't know eight nine months, I've done a couple of Twitter polls, like because mm-hmm. I it, you know it, it's it, it's like a lot of things today. Like it's a small group of people who make a lot of noise, and they seem like it's the majority. Yep. Um. So I was like Jets fans, like what's the deal? Like tag at New York Jets. Do you still believe in Mackay Becton? And the overwhelming majority of fans were still behind Mackay Becton. Yep. It was a very small percentage that were like, hate him, he's a bust. So I was like, okay. So this is just the, the very loud, small group giving the impression that people have given up on Mackay Becton. Um, I get Becton's frustration, but at the same, like there was one exchange he had this offseason with Rich Samini where he was clearly very agitated with Samini. Um, and I yeah. thought Becton, I thought Becton was a little bit off base because there was one question Samini asked. It was kind of Samini's fault for not f- sort of following up with it, but it, it was the thing about you know, did you miss? Was one of the reasons you missed time the birth of your your, your child? Oh no, sorry, it, it was related to the birth of his kid, which everybody knew. He stayed out of OTAs, minicamp, whatever, because he just had a kid. Um, Samini asked, were there any other reasons, you know, besides having the kid? And I think Becton interpreted that as, did you miss time because of the kid? Right. So Samini so was saying, is there any other reason? And I think he meant like, do you prefer being with Duke Manyweather? Do you prefer being whatever? Is yeah. there someone you're more like, I think that's what Samini was asking. But Becton heard the part about you having the kid and he was very agitated. And his answer was just, you knew that. Yes. Why would you ask that question? Like, so yeah. Samini said, was there anything in addition to you having a kid? And what Becton heard was, did you miss time because of having a kid? And that aggravated Becton. So right. I think he's already on the defensive because he's so under attack. But I think in that particular case, Samini asked a good question and Becton just didn't interpret it correctly and kind of got short with us. If Samini had asked what Becton thought he'd asked, I'd say Becton was right on for replying the way he did. Yeah. But, it, and unless I'm remembering wrong, it's months ago now. But I remember watching that and thinking, hang on a minute. 
Samini said, was there any other reason? And you answered a different question. So that's, yeah. you know, Becton's got a, I, I kind of can't blame him because he's on the defensive, but you know, if he, yeah, anyway, that's enough about that. When you're asked 35 questions, yeah. it's the same yeah. question 35 times. It's very difficult to be nuanced and level-headed with every single answer. So that's definitely understandable. Um, I don't know if you saw when, I, when you were talking, my eyes lit up a little bit, and I don't think this is necessarily a, a great thing that happened, but the Chargers waived first-round uh, defensive tackle Jerry Tillery. Um, and obviously we were just talking about the loss of Sheldon Rankins out four to six weeks, and now a former first-round defensive tackle has been cut by the Chargers, and his GM said this was not an easy decision, but after careful consideration, it was a necessary one in the best interest. Wish Jerry, Jerry all the best moving forward. Is this somebody that you're – and I know this is a raw reaction, but um, he hasn't had the best game uh, – best season, excuse me. He has a run defense grade sub-60 on PFF, which isn't good. He has a tackling grade of 25.8, which is terrible a 36.4% missed tackle rate, according to PFF. But is this somebody that you think about kicking the tires on as a former first-round pick to supplement the Sheldon Rankins injury? Well, yeah. The, uh, listen, I'm not going to – I'm trying to remember. He was a, a Notre Dame guy, if I'm not mistaken, um, and but hasn't done a whole lot as a pro. Yeah. Um, but listen – 2019. Yeah. Anytime you have a, a huge hole open up on your roster – um, and another player who, you know, just a few years ago was regarded as an elite talent. Uh, I, I say, you know, of course, bring him in. And uh, thanks a lot, Frank. You appreciate the questions. Um, yeah, I, I say bring guys in for a look when you, uh, you know, Linval Joseph was a guy the Jets looked at, too. And, you know, he may come yep. in at some point. But, um, yeah, listen, I, I'm, I love, you know, that's how you find diamonds in the rough. That's how you find guys yep. that, you know, whether it's an undrafted free agent. Listen. We talked about Nate Herbig earlier. I still – I said this to someone the other day. Um, I couldn't believe when when the Eagles released him. I'm like, you couldn't get a day three pick for him? Right, like, yep. This is a guy who started and played well. Like, every every now and then, like, as much as we talk about the NFL and we love the NFL and we, we think we understand the NFL, you see little things that you just go, how does that happen? Yep. How does a guy – listen, I'm not saying he's – I'm not saying that – uh you know, he's an all pro, but this is a, to me, a quality starter on the, and all you see across the league is teams wanting to stop their quarterbacks from getting killed. Yeah. Um, we hear all the time about how offensive line play is the worst it's been in years. And the Eagle and, you know, all these people like jumping on, you know, oh, how good can Herbig be if the Eagles released him? And it's like, look, I understand the skepticism, but the guy's good. Yeah, and and that was confusing. I'm like, I understand Herbig asked to be released because the Eagles had gotten so deep on the O line. Yeah, but I, but I just for them. Yeah, but I I just thought like nobody would give you a seven for him. Yep. He's a starting lineman, and now the Jets got a starting lineman for free. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and I hope that uh, if they do decide to go down this route, uh, Tillery was the 28th overall pick in the 2019 draft, like you said, from Notre Dame. I think that maybe it's worth bringing him in for a visit at a bare minimum because Sheldon Rankins was a very good pass rushing interior defensive lineman for you. And while his pass rush grade is only a 66.8, uh, I will go back and watch his game against Houston because he posted a 92 pass rush grade in that game. So 
to have an elite grade at a pass rush position, former first round pick, I think it's worth at least kicking the tires on. But I understand if they have other options in house that they want to choose to explore, like Smart, Marshall, or um, Franklin Myers or Clemens in the in the interior. So I get it. I get it on that one. Our last question here that I see in the chat comes from Kev. Do you know if the same ref crew that refed last Pats game will ref our next Pats game? Uh, they don't release that information that far in advance. They released the week 10 officiating schedule, and it looks like the referee for that game, it was Sean Smith. Um, I believe he's a pretty v- uh, tenured referee in this league, nine years if I'm not mistaken. He's refing the Chargers 49ers game this weekend at 425. So that's a game that I'm going to watch just to see how he ref that game because the officiating in the in the Pats game was atrocious. And I thought there was a lot of no calls, a lot of calls that were BS, namely the JFM roughing. So yeah, I will watch to see how they how he officiates going forward, but I they don't release that um information this early. I will say as long as it's not Cleet Blakeman as our referee, I'm okay with it. Cleet Blakeman's probably one of the worst referees I've ever seen. Um, last year, the first nine games that Cleet Blakeman, Cleet Blakeman, excuse me, refereed, zero and zero uh, for nine, the under hit every single game. Really? That's 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 a bad look. Warren Sharp had an article about each referee and like key stats and Cleet Blakeman was just atrocious on the over under nine straight. And then he had a primetime game and he actually let the not let, but the over hit and it was barely. And there was some questionable calls that almost made it not hit the over. So Cleet Blakeman's the only referee that I truly worry about in this league. Um, it, but that's on the jets. The jets are, it's ultimately on them to win the game. Don't let the refs, you know, play a factor in this. And if the and game you're the is better not, team, you're the better exactly. team. Exactly. That's the hardest part. Is there the better team? Don't shoot yourself in the foot. Somebody said they fell into the Belichick vortex and that's kind of what happened. They, they just kind of spiraled out of control of their own doing. And Bill Belichick's just like evil laughing on the sidelines. I've, like I don't I've even have to years, do anything. Man. My team it's sucks. Like teams, and- teams used to line up against those Belichick, Brady, Pats teams and just forget how to play football. Yeah, I mean, you'd see the dumbest kind of did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. You know, the, the worst example I always say, remember that game against the Colts when the Colts came out for that that fake punt or whatever it was, and they had like two blockers. And like, yeah. I that's I know, you know, I've said it before. That was that's legitimately the one game I looked at. And I'm like, you have to fire that coach after the game. Like you have to call him up to your office and say you just punted with like a snapper and a guard. And even the Patriots defenders look at each other like, what's going on right now? And of, of course they blocked it. Like nobody's blocking. It was insane. But that these are the people would do things like that against the Patriots. It was ridiculous. So he wasn't the actual special teams coach, but he was the assistant special teams coach at the time. Brent Boyer was on that team. He was yeah. the coaching. He was on that coaching staff that advised to go out in that two-man offensive line formation and call hike with your. And I, uh, I forget. I, I forget what the explanation was. Like the center, somebody, one of the key, the center or someone, like had like a death in the family and wasn't at practice the day it was oh, installed. No. 
like someone important wasn't at practice the day it was installed yeah and apparently never got the message but it was still idiotic it was still of like course, you don't yeah for all the nice special teams things that the Jets have done this season, to Oof. know that Brant Boyer was on the opposite side of that one is is a little tough to swallow. I, I've 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 literally thought of starting another Twitter handle, um, dead and and call it something like "This is how the Jets will lose the Super Bowl," like if they ever make it, yeah, and pick yeah. every every time I see a crazy play like that, I'm like, that that's how? that's how the Jets are going to lose the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know what? Like, what was it? Was it there was a play a few weeks ago that went viral from a few years ago where a team had like third and, and whatever, and the snap got fumbled and the, they kept trying to pick it up and it just kept getting kicked back further and further. And it was like, it was literally like third and 76 or so, or fourth yes, and 76 yes, yep. like, or like fourth and goal from like the opposite 10. From the opposite 10. And yeah, I'm like, that and, game, and that was, I'm like, I'm like, that's another one for, this is how the Jets are going to lose the Super Bowl. Like everything, like, like something like that. Scooping yeah, so, down and kicking the ball away from yeah, them as one, they're doing it. One yeah. after the other. Whenever I see a play where you're like, you'll never see that again in your life, I'm like, that's how the Jets. There was, I think I sent you one last year. There was a quarterback who got it was a college game. He got a rushing touchdown from inside the five. Um, but he they did like a weird fake, like he tried to disguise himself or hide himself, and they went to the replay to review the score. And when he went to fake, he accidentally let his knee touch the ground. So he was down. No one touched him. He was like ducking down to be like little cutesy. And then he yeah. got up and ran the touchdown. And, and then the, they reviewed it. And they're like, nope. He's and I was like, that's how the Jets, you know, of course, again, NFL, yeah. so it wouldn't be. But I'm like, that's how the Jets will lose the Super Bowl. That'd like, be a I, great account every day, just finding the, the worst bizarre football plays. But yep. it's actually funny because up until this year, those those excuses worked. And now all of a sudden it's like, in spite of all of these mishaps in, in the game, like the Zach Wilson strip sack after an egregious 15 minute sky cam delay, I feel like that that's how the jets lose. So the fact that they can overcome these adversities in the middle of the game just speaks volumes to how much growth has been throughout this entire roster. And you just, you absolutely love to see it. Like, the Jets, they don't get these calls. So to actually see it happening, and 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 I, I don't partake in it so much on Twitter, but these Jets fans giving opposing fans crap after the game has been a joy to watch because it goes from, okay, the Jets have a 0% chance to win. They kind of, okay, Thursday, we might win. And then they upset the win, and it's like, oh, okay, now let's go minimize the Jets' loss. And yep. well, you played a third-string quarterback, right. and Aaron Rodgers isn't the MVP. And, well, right. bullshit, we just beat the most complete team, the best well, team in the NFL. We listen. held him to 17 points. People are already saying, well, Josh Allen didn't have his best game. There, well, no shit, you... because the Jets' defense stopped him. Yeah, this 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 is this this, 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 even Josh Allen said like oh I played like shit. Yeah, there's a reason why, Josh. There's a reason why you didn't play well today. Because you played a great defense. Solid said our goal is to make the good teams look normal and embarrass the bad teams. And that's what we're at. We're there now. Like that's that's what it should be. Yes. I don't know. I don't know if somebody put together a montage of like some Buffalo sportscasters who were like, oh, the Bills are going to win this one running away. Like, there was some really snarky old guy. Uh, yeah. Well, listen, I, I'm a snarky old guy, but <laughs> he was like, he's like, oh, the, the, you know, just talking about how it's going to be an easy win. And then after the game, he's like, oh, you know, Josh Allen, he's he's flexing his hand and he's not having feeling. Like, 
oh, are you talking about like right before the final throw of the game? Yeah. Like, exactly. are we pre- are we pretending he played the whole game with an il- injured elbow when he made literally? Oh, it was two. He made two throws with an elbow. He's like, Josh Allen's not right. He's clearly hurt. You could see yep. him flexing his hand and trying to get feeling in his fingers. Oh, yeah, for two plays. Like, yeah, because two. the third down play by Bryce Huff. Exactly. And exactly. A fourth down throw. And you corked, uncorked a 70 yard pass exactly. with the adrenaline off your elbow. So spare me that. There was yeah. actually a clip of Josh Allen after the sauce pick, and he kind of uh, channeled his inner Odell Beckham Jr., and he hit his helmet up against the kicking net on the sideline. Yeah, I saw that. And yeah. I'm like, you so- know what? If you want to you want to complain about all that losing feeling in his head, well, don't hit the kicking net then, silly. Yeah. Like, yeah. come on. It was- so I'm just tired but- of the it, it, ha- it has been. I, I think the Jets have done enough now. You won't see as much of it, but I re- yeah. I said after like after the second or third, the Browns one when I was I I said on here like Browns fans are talking about losing to the Jets like they're not the Browns. Like oh, oh I, can't, I can't be- the, I can't believe we lost right. to the Jets. Mm-hmm. Like who you're the Browns? Like yeah. you never beat you. Know, stop! But every every you know who was it? Uh, what, what was his name that said? Uh, what was it? Um, uh, Jesus. The uh, uh, the Fitzpatrick, Minka Fitzpatrick. Oh, it, it hurts when you lose to a team you know you're better than. Really? Like, can, can we get a weekly update on how much better you think you are than the Jets right now? Yeah, it's, I don't uh, think the Steelers are better or were better at the time than the Jets. No, no. I think again, I think they, uh, I think they've sort of you know just expected the Jets to be the Jets, and now, uh, like, I think in beating the Bills team, people are gonna be like, oh damn. Um, there's yeah. a guy, guy, uh, guy, Greg Rainoff. Saying how much he's enjoying the season. Greg's a great guy. Uh, yep. Van Halen, Van Halen biographer. Check out his books. Uh, uh, Ted Templeman, uh, Van Halen, both really good books. Great guy, great Jets fan. Um, thanks for checking us out, Greg. We appreciate that. Hell yeah. Well, I think that's going to do it. I know we we said we we're going to go for about 90 minutes, and we're sitting here at the two hour and 17 minute mark. Yeah, of the we, show. we went 137. Our- Definitely our longest show of the season. Um, and the funniest part is we did not talk a lick of draft. I mentioned it to you as in the private chat here. We're just going to go full bore on draft talk next week because we won't have a game recap, obviously, with the bye. Um, so we're just going to go full bore on draft. Glenn's going to give multiple guys per position. I'm going to give multiple guys per position. Just really give everybody a rundown of at least 20 names of prospects that we haven't discussed before. I'm putting together a spreadsheet of any name that Glenn and I have talked about at length on the pod. So we know we're not doubling up and Glenn's provided tons of good clips that I'm going to save to my computer and we're going to run them up as we're talking about them. So next week's going to be a full, full deep dive into draft. Um, I'm not firing up any mock draft simulators, like I said, but it's time to start talking about these prospects because in two weeks, their season's going to be over around Thanksgiving. Then they'll have three or four weeks off before bowl season. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to come up quick. And, the, you know, the end of the football season kind of ramps it up. But the end of the college football season is always fun to see the declarees and the attendees to the Senior Bowl, Shrine Bowls, which are already coming out. Senior Bowl has been announcing them as we've been live on the show so i have to keep up with those but any any final thoughts on this show i know it was a loaded one it was and i'm gonna i know we're not gonna go in deep on the draft but i do want to throw a name out there because he's a guy i like who just came back from injury um i was i was wondering why i hadn't heard his name much so i looked him up the other day and apparently unless i read it wrong last week was his first week back 
um, Amari Gaynor, Florida State linebacker, who they've apparently been looking at at edge a little bit. Okay. Um, I was going to do three linebackers today, three linebackers, all three of them, funny enough, all three wear number 33, um, but we'll cover them next week. But Amari Gaynor is yeah. one of them. And uh, it, now that he's back in the, or now that he's back on the field, I think he's a player worth watching who could, uh, who could make some noise and, and, you know, become a, a real candidate for a guy who flies up draft boards. If, if he plays well off the edge, cause I love them at linebacker last year. Hell yeah. Amari Gaynor. I'm gonna have to write that one down. I'll throw out one name just because you did too. This guy, um, he just balled out last week and I have to highlight him. He's a senior quarterback for Southern Methodist university. His name is T Tanner Mordecai. He uh, won seventy-seven to sixty-three over Houston, so an absolute. I saw. I, I didn't. I saw that score. I meant to watch that game. I gotta watch that game at some point. I, I'll be honest. I only watched a couple highlights and the and the box score. I'm cherry picking, but this dude Tanner Mordecai, twenty-eight of thirty-seven, three hundred and seventy-nine yards, nine passing touchdowns. That's he also, insane. He also had eight for fifty-four and a touchdown on the ground. Uh, he's somebody that transferred from Oklahoma after 2020. So that was the COVID season. And the person I wrote down was Shane Bichelle. I know you were a fan of yeah, his. I remember you him, actually yeah. knocked him to the Jets. He's with the Chiefs, right? Yes, he was a late round pick of the Chiefs. I believe he's on their practice yeah. squad, if not their backup. So. And and yeah, he's actually a capable NFL starter for or backup for backup. a day three pick. Exactly. And I think Tanner Mordecai could be of that same mold. Obviously, when you pop off like this, you're gonna, you know, garner some attention. But in the last two years, 65% completions, 6,100 passing yards, 64 touchdowns, and 19 picks. So that, that to me says you have the pedigree to at least be a competent developmental backup. So Tanner Mordecai was my guy. He actually had a receiver that just made the senior bowl, Rasheed Rice. Um, I actually made a play on, on the words with Rasheed uh, Peanut Butter Cup. For Reese's they picked up on that. That's and nice. And they loved it. SMU sent me one back with the edited picture of Rasheed Rice. So I thought that was great. I'll highlight him next week. But had to get Mordecai on here after – after you contribute to 70 points um, for your offense, you're going to get talked about. So Mordecai was my guy. And all right, that's going to do it. Um, obviously, there's no game for the Jets. It's a bye week. Um, one last quote I will leave for you from Robert Sala, who Quinn and Williams mentioned it in the press conference, that Sala's message to the team entering the off week was, the bye week is for your body, not your mind. So I think that just goes to show the mentality of this team. They're not taking it as a, oh, let's go to Cabo and hurt our hand on a sightseeing ATV uh, expedition. Sorry, Xavier McKinney. That's really unfortunate, but I really hope that's not the case for these Jets players. I hope they all come back safe and healthy on Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever they come back to practice. And let, let's go. We got to go. We got to get this rematch against the Pats. I'm, I know that the players are licking their chops. Fans, I'm sure, are licking their chops to get back at it. It's in New England, so it's going to add another element of difficulty. But this is a challenge that the team is ready for. We just beat the damn Bills. So I don't think there's anybody that should say the Jets should be underdogs, maybe even a, a road favorite, if not a pick em in this game, at least, is what I'm hoping for. So we'll leave it at that for now. Um, for Glenn Naughton, you can follow him on Twitter at AceFan23. Follow his new draft account at Jets Picks. That's gaining a lot of speed. He's putting out a lot of great clips of uh, prospects. And then you can follow me at Twitter on uh, at, on Twitter at DTerriman. And until next week, let's go Jets. <laughs>